Hey everybody, it's that section of, uh, section, that doesn't sound very good, that segment <laughs> of Hit Rewind where we discuss video games of 1986. I'm your host, Michael, and John's on the other side. How's it going, everybody? John's taking over because he's got all the notes, I'm just going to go, uh-huh, that's cool, it's a great game, yay. No, I, I'm pretty, I'll have more <laughs> to devote to that, but go ahead. Yeah. Okay, so we are now in 86, arcades exist, but, uh... There's definitely going to be a big change uh, that we're going to make note of. Now, there were a few new game companies that formed. You got Trade West, who published things like Double Dragon and Battletoads. Uh, Majesco, who did Blood Rain and Psychonauts, and uh, everyone's favorite series, Cooking Mama. <laughs> uh, Acclaim, that did uh, like the older Simpsons games. Uh, they did all the ports for the Mortal Kombat's. And probably about the only other really big one was Turok. Now, there was also Ubisoft, who, you know, they're responsible for the Rayman games. Uh, some games based on some unknown author named Tom Clancy. No, I never heard of him. And, <laughs> and, some tiny, and some tiny little series that no one would make a movie out of whatsoever called Assassin's Creed. Mm, never heard of that one either. Must be independent and games. Also, and also, apparently I messed up. Bethesda wasn't in the 85. They started in 86. For, for some reason, my notes that I had found it said they formed in 85, but apparently Bethesda is formed in 86. My bad. So, uh, I'll get, a, get the one notable PC game out of the way. Uh, Sierra Games released the first Space Quest game. Oh, nice. Now, yeah, it's like these are the old-school point-and-click adventure games where you wander around aimlessly picking up random shit, and then uh, eventually some of that random shit will help you find uh, solve a puzzle. Unless, of course, it's, you know, uh, like we talked about uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where if you don't pick up the right thing ten hours earlier, you're not going to be able to solve a, solve a, a riddle later on, and <laughs> sucks to be you. Oh, yeah, that's, that sounds terrible. But... Uh, now, prior to this, they were working on the King's Quest games, and they're a little bit serious, a little more straightforward fantasy, of course. Uh, but they decided to flip the script and lean heavily into humor. So, you're this unnamed protagonist, who later became named Roger Wilco, who's a space janitor. And uh, after taking a nap in this broom closet, you discover that your ship is taken over by bad guys, you escape, and eventually, through a series of misadventures... You become a galactic savior. <laughs> These games are wild. <laughs> I, I, I've only played the fourth one, and my god, you know, just... Like, everyone everyone always kind of credits, like, the Lucasfilm games for having a good sense of humor. Uh-huh. No, 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 no. This, These old Sierra games are, like... I mean, like, this one, like, especially the first one has apparently has, like, a lot of Star Wars and Star Trek... Uh, references but uh, it's always like very biting satirical humor as opposed to just kind of being goofy but have you ever tried any have you tried a space quest game or no I don't believe I ever have no yeah those if if they're still available to play I'd say give one a shot like I said you gotta find a guide for it though because those old games are so (laughs) so uncompromisingly difficult (laughs) Now, in the arcades, Ikari Warriors came out. Oh, what a fun now, game. This, yeah, SNK's first major breakthrough in the U.S. 
you know, the, out of all the Commando clones, this is definitely the best. And it had a, this rotating joystick where it basically was like a single stick, twin stick shooter because you use your joystick to move around, but you could twist the joystick to actually have you shoot in all sorts of different directions. Yeah, which is impossible to play it at home. It just doesn't have the same feel. So many games you, you have to get a special controller for or just play in the arcade because there's just no way. Yeah, like I've never played the arcade version of this one. I'd only played the uh, NES version, which is just NES shooter. Right. But Akari Warriors is, is a blast. It is a good game. And uh, Taito's Bubble Bubble got released. Oh, my God. That's a fun game, too. I love that one. And what's funny is, like, me, I know the series mostly because of its sister series, uh, Puzzle Bubble, which is the one where you shoot the little little uh, color-coded bubbles, try to break break the lines on the top and all that. This one is, you know, the uh, Mario, kind of like the Mario Brothers clone in a way, or platform where like you and a friend are little bubble-breathing dragons, jumping around. Uh, Got to basically shoot your little bubbles at these monsters. You know, get them, uh, get them inside your bubble, and then knock the bubble so that it breaks and they die. Like, there's a hundred levels of this. This is I did I have played this in the arcades, but this is another one where I'm really more familiar with it on the NES. But, yeah, good, good game. Uh, Arkanoid also got released. Is that the one where it's like Breakout, but it moves around? Kind of, yeah. You're, uh, it's the Breakout clone. You uh, basically have to break all the blocks on the screen with your little ball. You're, you're a spaceship or whatever. Uh, but now like the blocks need to be hit multiple times. They're flying enemies. You got power-ups that can make your, uh, your paddle larger. You can uh, get more balls, all kinds of stuff. It, like, I think Breakout ultimately stole our Arkanoid's uh, thing because I, I seem to remember Breakout, but also being able to do all that stuff. Right. So I think they, that might have been like a later iteration. So they just kind of cannibalized each other. But I think what's funny is one of the things I I read was it took its neon aesthetic from Tron. Oh, it did it. That's cool. And it's, and it's kind of went, yeah, sure. And the 80s. Well, this is <laughs> Just 86, in general. Right? <laughs> By this point, yes, everything's going to be neon and <laughs> and garishly, uh, things like that. But, oh, man, yeah. Our, 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 uh, I, can, I can always mess up saying this. Arkanoid. I do, I know I played this one, and this one was a blast. As I said, I know, I'm pretty sure Breakout ripped it off, too, but, God, these are good. Uh, one of the, my favorite games... Sega's classic Outrun came out. I don't remember. Is that the motorcycle game? No, no, that's that was Hang On. Okay. Outrun is the uh, one where you're in a Ferrari Testarossa, and it was literally a Ferrari Testarossa, not like, oh, it's a car that kind of looks like one. No, it was branded and oh, everything. Nice. And you gotta and you gotta go and get to the obviously get to the finish line of every stage. But what was cool about this was there were, like these blind turns and dips and stuff. That actually obscured your what you could see in front of you, because you know, third third person behind the car, like most of these other games at the time, and because you're moving so fast, you really had to be quick on on turns. You had like when you go through these blind turns, you got to be prepared to uh, not get hit by something. And it also had uh, a way to uh, like change the difficulty of the game, because as you're driving the track will branch off into different paths. Mm -hmm. 
which then, you know, again, each different path had, was effectively a different difficulty, and they also kind of ended up into five, ultimately you would have like five different uh, endings for each race, which oh. could be you winning a trophy, you breaking down, or I forget what else, but you know, something Crash else. Crash and burn happen. would be horrible. <laughs> well, that, that's just that's what happens if you lose. Oh, yeah. You suck at the game. And of course, it's one of those ones that has a standing or a sit-down cabin, uh, cabinet. The sit-down one actually had like full-on force feedback. Nice. Yeah, I I can't wait until we get to the get the time when the actual machines moved too. Those, uh, those are weird. The first time you try one of those, but this also had the, one of those great soundtracks. Uh, it's the same guy who did Hang On, and it's like you could choose what tracks you wanted to have. Uh, granted, there's only three songs, but <laughs> you could. You could choose which song you had playing, you know, while you're racing. So it's like, you know, shit, hang on, uh, Outrun is one of their best uh, racing games ever. I mean, yes. I'll give a, you know, everyone go like, Cinder Rally or some of these other things. It's like, no, dude, classic. Okay. The NES officially comes out in 86. Right, because the, the, the test run in New York or in Chicago, I think. Where they were just you know, see yes. if it would even sell, and yeah, eighty six, and uh, my uncle Bill uh, William, uh, don't call him Bill anymore, sorry, uh, William, uh, he got one that Christmas with uh, Rob the robot and the the gun, of course. And that's the thing is, it the NES had to be branded as a toy because of the stigma attached to video game systems and especially console, you know, the home console market. We had to go, see, look, it's a toy. It comes with a robot. The robot can play a stacking game and some other bullshit. Because Rob sucked. It did. Gyromite's a fun game, but guess what? After a little bit of that, you just hand the controller to someone else in your family instead of the fucking robot. <laughs> yeah. That's, and that's the thing. It's like, we, the software lineup for, uh, for this thing, despite the two Rob games, was pretty damn good. I mean... You had Super Mario Brothers, Duck Hunt, Golf, Ice Climber, uh, Kung Fu, Excite Bike, and Marty McFly's favorite uh, non-existent arcade port, Wild Gunman. Did uh, when did Balloon Fight come out? Was that the initial Black Box run? Balloon Fight, I think that's in '87. Oh, okay. Oh, well, that... it might have been '86 in Japan. Yeah, but, but just not—it's not, not part of the original Everest. American run. Okay. Yeah, it's like they're. I'm leaving a couple of games off because there are a few other sports games, but golf is probably the best of those uh, early NES games and probably one of the best golf games ever, period. Like, just by, you know, just design. Like, hell, hell, they, they included it on the Switch as wow. a uh, Easter egg because uh, the president of Nintendo's uh, birthday, if you before they patched this thing out, had your system set on there, it would show up like on the home screen or something. But yeah, so that's you know, I mean, I said ice climber, kung fu, excite bike. Come kung, on, excite I think, bike. I think kung fu was one of the very first games I ever had on the Nintendo. That game's hard. Yeah, it's again, I I I am hard pressed to really think of a of a game line of a first gen uh, release that well, first gen. Uh, first day release that has as good a games as those you know as classic games as those yeah but weirdly enough 
Metroid was released in the U.S. in arcades. I did not know that. Yeah, neither did I. This, uh, we, we talked about a thing called the Nintendo Versus cabin, yeah. uh, cabinets. This was part of a thing called Play Choice 10. Oh, I remember they're, that now. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, they're like the SNK cabinets that you could play multiple games on. And it would have like up to 10 options of NES games. And, you know, it's like the Play Choice did feature, have many of the uh, NES launch titles, but they also had a ton, like, especially later on, like the third party games. But Metroid actually had its debut in the arcades in one of those in 86. It would, wouldn't get ported to the US till uh, 87, I think, or 88, but 87, I'm pretty sure. But it's like some of these things that showed up. You know, it's like I was looking at the list. Mm-hmm. There were things like, <clears throat> like the, the Ninja Turtles games, Yo Noid, the Goonies. Oh my God, Noid? You mean like from the Dominoes? Avoid the Noid? Yeah, you did. What? Didn't Didn't you know that they had a that they had a NES game? No, I knew they had a game. I just didn't know they put it in arcades. It doesn't seem like the kind of thing you would do that. Yeah, way. yeah, like it. Fester's Quest, the uh, oh, the Adams Family game that was Lord. on there. It was like a lot of licensed titles I were guess, part of the Play Choice I guess 10. the reason would be is because not everybody had a Nintendo, and that was a way to try it out, was in arcades. Yeah, it, it looks like it was, a, yeah, as you said, a way to try it out, but also a way to create brand awareness. Because you could sit there and, hey, look, you know, we have these versus cabinets where you can play Mario Brothers or, uh, again, later on, Dr. Mario and stuff. Here you got, here's 10 NES games. Give uh, give Excite Bike a try. Oh, you, you like that? Well, here's also based off the movie movie that you like. Here's Goonies, which is rare because most go- uh, video games based on movies were terrible. But I remember the Goonies one being kind of fun. That one I've never played, honestly. But yeah, there's that. There's there's quite a, there's quite a bit of stuff. Like I I'll have to find you the uh, article and send you that list because there's you'd be kind of surprised at what showed up on in those things okay now the other major uh video game thing that came out in 86 sega released the master system a system i tried playing and i just couldn't get into i owned one of those you did oh yeah i had it i my i joke with my dad in which he had a choice between the nes and a master system and he got the master system because he was told that it was a much more powerful system. <laughs> so I joke with him that he stole my childhood by buying me the Master System. Uh, that's hilarious. But I, I have I have memories that other people don't now. That you know that in, I have enjoyment that other people never had. But it's like the first run of games had Alex Kidd and Miracle World, which is a really good platformer. That is, I guess they've got a remake coming up soon. I can't wait to see that. There was Astro Warrior, which is this uh, vertical scrolling shooter, which is pretty good. Uh, Fantasy Zone, which is the oh, which I played that one. Had, that one's good. That's a flyer, right? A shooter. It's a yeah, a little flyer where you're, like infinite like screen just kind of goes back and you know as you as you fly around you kind of end up back in the place where you started. It's a it's like a drug trip. <laughs> and. Uh, Opa Opa, the little flying uh, spaceship that you're in, mm-hmm. was like Sega's mascot. Well, was Sega's mascot for a while, but so was Alex Kidd, because that was like the the 
the character that, that was their Mario. Uh, Hang On, of course, the uh, motorcycle game. Choplifter, which I'm pretty sure we talked about, where you're, uh, you know, flying around in a helicopter, getting rescuing people, shooting shit. Uh, but the thing about the Master System was it had cartridges, but it also had uh, games on these little credit card-like chips. Oh, uh, yeah, that I you, remember those. That you could plug in. I had a bunch of games on those. Uh, it had a light gun. And that's the thing. is, It was a, it was a pretty neat system. The problem is Nintendo had all the franchises people gave a shit about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, Fantasy Star is really the biggest thing that came out of the, out of the Master System. And that's mainly because they put it online. You know, uh, Wonder Boy, uh, one of their franchises, ended up getting ripped off as the Adventure Island games. And, you know, there's a remake of the third game that you can buy on the PlayStation Network and probably the Xbox. But it's like, yeah, most of these things, it just never had, never had the games that uh, people really wanted, you know, at the end of the day. But shit, I have I I enjoyed it quite a bit. Cool. Yeah, I have it on my Raspberry and, Pi. I just never really cracked the system. I keep going into it for a little bit and then just going to something else. Well do you know what do you remember what types of games did you try to play? Nope. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. Well, that's okay. Uh if you have Zillion two, that one's worth playing. Okay. Uh Let's see, uh, Teddy Boy is good. There was uh, the F-14, to- uh, F-14 flying game. That one's good. I'm trying to remember some of the ones I had. Uh, Cloudmaster is good. And, yeah, like uh, Wonder Boy in Monsterland, the, the second of the, of the, well, I I know of three, but I guess there's like four or five of these Wonder Boy games. Wonder Boy! I mean, hell, <laughs> I mean, hell if, you played, if you played Adventure Island, you've literally played Wonder Boy, so. And Alex, the first Alex Kidd game. I'd say try uh, Miracle World. Give that one a shot. Okay. But, yeah, uh, sadly, 86 really didn't have a whole heck of a lot that happened in it. Uh, again, we officially got NES. We now, they had a competitor, kind of. And uh, there was a couple of video games that came on the arcades. Uh, eventually, obviously, video game, uh, arcade games will start to pick up again. We will get uh, a lot more to talk about with the NES because in the next few years, all the best uh, titles come out. Yeah, it's it's we're in that down period where everybody's trying to figure out what the hell's going on with video games and you know just trying to recover. And technically, a lot of, like, I think Castlevania comes out, but it was in Japan. Yeah. Uh, I forget. Something else comes out, but it was in Japan. Right. Was, so uh, yeah, next year's going to be actual, uh, just a banger of a year. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I, I will say this. Mario Brothers 2 came out in Japan. We did not get that game until years later as Mario Brothers The Lost Levels. Because that game was hella hard. Yeah, I actually kind of like so the, the other Super Mario Brothers too. Donkey Donkey Panic. I kind of like it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they they went and took took a separate game and just turned it into Mario Brothers two. But yeah, uh, Mario two is fine. The Lost Levels. Yeah, those. I never liked those. I, but weirdly enough, I never really liked. I, I think Mario 
the original Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers game is fun, and I love it, and I think it's a great, you know, possibly one of the most influential, greatest video games ever. Mm-hmm. It's also not my favorite Mario Brothers game. It's... I don't think I've actually ever even beaten that one. No, I've only beaten part two. Yes, I've beaten three, and I've beaten uh, Mario World. But, yeah, uh, Sonic Eve is yeah, so I big. I'm... I don't really like really big games. What I love about my Raspberry Pi is that I get to play the arcade versions. I can just hit enter or select whatever and add coins, coin, 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 so I never die. And then I just get to finish the game. It's only like six levels. It's great. Well, yeah, and that just che- you know, yeah, just go ahead and cheat your way through. Yeah, yeah but I don't have coins. I can actually enter and shut up. <laughs> I, I want sad. What is it? I want action tonight. <laughs> Satisfaction. All right. <laughs> to quote a really douchebag band. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking poison, Jesus. Um. All right. So that is it for eighty six. That is it. All right, that is everybody. Eighty six. Yeah, it's uh, eighty seven. Is gonna be. We're gonna the, after eighty seven. It's gonna get. A longer episode. This is like twenty five minutes. It's gonna be like an hour. Oh, yeah. Once we get all these people started competing, yeah, the Nintendo it's... boom. I did. I did warn you a little bit. I'm going. We might have to stretch a little bit around That's Nintendo. Okay. Oh, you can hear me stretching. That's when I was like, oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Hour and a half is a long time to record. Yeah. Sorry. So I want to announce right now that we are done with this episode here. We do hit rewind, but uh, John just inherited the co-hosting duties of another show that we kind of ended. We're going to do a rebirth of called Video Night. If you have been listening, it's one of the very first podcasts we ever did, but we came to a conclusion that Andrew was too busy. We kind of discussed everything we wanted to discuss, but there was always one kind of corner of film that we didn't get to get to. You know, I mean, just stuff that we didn't get all the genre. And then it's like the sci-fi, fantasy, uh, uh, you know, the oddball movies. The ones one step beyond. And therefore, that's the new name. It's Video Night One Step Beyond. Or no, sorry. <laughs> that's the song by <laughs> Madness. Shit. Beyond. <laughs> um, it's Video Night Beyond. And it's not just about the fact that we're talking about uh, otherworldly kind of films. But it's beyond me and Andrew. It's now John and I. Yeah, let's see. I've also got a podcast uh, getting on its way uh, that will be out to you, hopefully, sometime before the end of the year. Because <laughs> how early on we're recording. Oh, but, yeah. Let's see. What uh, the fuck? It's January. <laughs> sub, yes. Subculture, subgenre. I started with a friend, uh, Johnny. You've. If you've heard some of the stuff we did on the uh, anime, uh, anime summer of anime yeah. that we did, and I think that's it actually. Yeah, I think that's the only ones we did with, with Johnny. Were those? Yeah, it was like uh, a mini series you did while we were trying to figure out what to do with the final season of Back in Tunes, which uh, was a lie. It didn't end. We do uh, we did a mini series this year. That's what we decided to do. We're just going to do like chunks of like three episodes here and there. So yeah, we got a lot going on, but I, it does seem like uh, I'm a little overwhelmed. A little bit, yeah, yeah. So this this is kind of a it's somewhat of a general uh, geek geeky uh, conversation, just whatever pops into my uh, crazy little brain. Right. But it will be some it'll be some comics, it'll be movies, it'll be uh, video games. Uh, the first the first episode, maybe two episodes, uh, depending on how I feel about it, uh, is about the us uh, talking about our favorite games. Of every video game genre, of of every video game, 
console that we've had. Yeah. From see, starting actually with Gen 2, so the old Commodore 64 and Atari days, <laughs> all the way through the, the last gens PS3, PS, I'm sorry, PS4 and 3, no, Xbox One. Yeah, and you're not tied, like, the Hit Rewind is always, and the same thing with Video Night, we're going to be going year by year, chronological order, whereas you can bounce around, you can do stuff now, you can do stuff in the past, you can be about a certain subject. Um, so, like, with Video Night Beyond, we're starting with 1980, we're going to pick a, a few sci-fi films from that year, we're just moving up through the years. So it's a little more freeing to do your format. I just, I have, I'm disorganized, I need to have chronological, or I don't know what the fuck I just talked about previously. Yeah, it's, I... Want to, I, there's aside from Johnny, I definitely want to. I'm going to get some of my other friends in because there's some people who will. I'm going to cheat on you a little bit and talk about <gasps> music, but uh, but different, but uh, different uh, ways with music, and you know, I I kind of want to have someone try to convince me that Kanye West is worth listening to. No. Meanwhile, I convince them, convince them that they should hear Slayer or something okay, like that. Gotcha. You know, like. Like a like a, a trade almost. I like, I tried to convince I tried to convince somebody, and maybe I can convince you is that pop by NSYNC is the uh, pet sounds of the teen pop era. I think that song is so intricate, so layered, uh, and it's so far ahead of what everybody else is doing in that genre. Um, that I think it's a noteworthy. It may not be your kind of music, but that song. And that album are um, just whoever produced it really tried to take it beyond just teeny popper bullshit. Hmm. I will take a note of that. Yes, it's uh, it's hard to convince people if you have nothing to do with that genre. But uh, I'm kind of iffy with the whole thing. But I was convinced to listen to it, and they were right. Yeah, part of me goes, I, I kind of seem to want to turn this uh, with in my case a lot of hip hop. Uh, orientation because as much as i love hip-hop and rap there are blind the huge blind spots yeah, in what i I'm what i know and that. love so it's so i i feel like i know i know some people who who live breathe you know hip-hop and it's like i hell let's talk with one of them with mf doom dying not too not too long ago and i'm going i know one album by well sorry two albums by mf doom I really should know more. Yeah. I feel like an idiot for not knowing any more. Well, do you know that I didn't know this until he died that he went by a different name in the early 90s, Sav Love X, and he was a guest on one of my favorite hip-hop albums of all time, uh, Third Base, and Derelict's a Dialect, and I was like, that's him? He had a totally different sound. So yeah, this should be fun for you. Yeah, that's that's what I'm really... I'm hoping that uh, at least... Every other, you know, every month or so, we'll get something out to you guys. Uh, just got to get off my butt and actually uh, get this first episode again, maybe two, because we went for two hours. Yeah. And well, I only speaking of going for two hours, we're almost there now, <laughs> so we should probably stop. Everybody, check us out on Hit Rewind Podcast. Okay. All right, have a good night. Later. Is this how our voices sound like after two hours? You sound <laughs> like Nick Nolte. God damn it. <laughs> Y'all ready for this? Every time I hear that song, I think of House of Style. I think you're too young for it. But on MTV for like, I think it was 92 to like 97, there was House of Style, which was all about models. I remember that one.
Okay, those are connected in any way whatsoever. What? <laughs> I remember That's around... all I remember from MTV. <laughs> that was actually Nickelodeon. Was that was uh, that was a uh, Snick. That was the very first Snick show, I believe. Oh my bad, shit. And then it was it was well, Are You Afraid of the Dark, Roundhouse, Rugrats, and something else. I don't think Ren Stippy was part of it. Maybe Rocco or Doug. And then it just kept expanding from there. Right, I think it was Doug. Nickelodeon. Hey everybody, we are discussing it is well actually I should say this. It is the official launch of season two of Hit Rewind. We've taken some breaks and you've got a lot of like rerun patched up episodes from the past. We didn't well we stopped recording around Christmas, right? I can't remember. When did we stop with nineteen eighty five? It was it was either November or December. I think as far as eighty five goes, I wanna say it was sometime in January. Or really, we went that far? I really thought that we stopped before the new year. Um, but we've taken a break. We just, did right. We did the three episodes of Back in Tunes as filler. Uh, plus, people were just clamoring for that to come back. But this is the official launch of Season 2. We launched Season 1 a year ago. And that's when we did the All Things Ghostbusters. And I think we did All Things Scooby-Doo and stuff like that. Um, so what we do on this show is we try to go. We try. <laughs> to go chronologically starting at 1980 up through until whatever we decide we're sick of this discussing pop culture moments from that year that we're discussing so we are now into 86 season two should go from 86 to 91 lots and lots of great movies i think it's gonna be a little harder now because the movies we experienced in the first half of the 80s it was a little rough until we hit 84 don't you think yes exactly that's when it started coming back big time. Yeah, we, we had a hard time putting together like 80, 81, and then it got a little bit easier from there. But 86 on, we're going to uh, we did some episodes from years ago where we discussed like Big Trouble with China, Golden Child, and stuff from 87. So those two seasons are going to be a little lighter. But once we get to 88, 89, 90, it's going to get a lot longer. Um, oh, God, yes. Yeah, especially 91. 91 is one of the greatest movie years of all time. I'll have to look into it. My God, well, I mean, so Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, uh, Hot Shots, yes. Terminator 2, Hudson Hawk, Soap Dish, Hook, and those are just off the top of my head. And there's nothing else on top of my head. I'm a bald man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you are clever in the way of puns, my friend. <laughs> All right. So anyway. we're going to discuss, uh, discuss six. Yeah, I can't talk. Discuss six movies from 1986. Jacob, what are we starting with? Oh, gosh. Well, let's get this one out of the way because um, I felt like it was kind of the weakest of the bunch. It was um, Crocodile Dundee. Oh, thank God we're on the same page. I was worried that you were going to say you absolutely loved it. I suggested it before we actually watched it. It was a phenomenon, so you cannot ignore it. I mean, this movie made like $100 million, and it was in the theaters forever. I saw this at the drive-in. I couldn't tell you what I saw it with. It, uh, with. I can't. I just. It's so long ago. But um, I remember even then thinking, hey, it was okay. And everybody talked about that line, you know, this no, no, this is a knife. And everybody was Australia crazy for a while. Like the whole 80s was just Australian obsessed. And I watched it this time, uh, and I felt nothing. I felt nothing. only thing I felt was a moment of disgust when there was the transphobic humor. Yeah, no, that did, that, that uh, set me off. I can't yeah, believe this like, guy yeah. was a this guy was a star for like a decade. He could get any movie he wanted made. He's not likable. He's not handsome, and he keeps talking about walkabouts. Like we couldn't figure out what that was the first fucking time. 
it just doesn't work for me. But I like some of the cast members. I like fish out of water movies. I think the problem is it takes so fucking long to get out of Australia to New York. Oh yeah, I know. Depending on where you're from, I mean, uh, Sydney and Melbourne, uh, they're the ones that have uh, international airports. No, but... I meant the story. Like, it, it, there's like oh. so much of it actually in the outback. And then when they finally get to New York, it's only fish out of water jokes. They're, I mean, it's nice when they're 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 kind of scattered throughout. But there has to be a real plot that I give a shit about. I just didn't care. Right. Uh, again, yeah, it was a romantic subplot, uh, evidently, considering like he actually starts falling for her and she starts falling for him, especially after he saved her from the crocodile in the, earlier in the yes, movie. Yes, but I didn't believe it, which is ironic, because in real life, they got married. But I do not see it on screen. Yeah, no, I felt like it was a little bit forced on screen. Uh, but not as forced as freaking Anakin and Padme. I will say that. That was the worst. <laughs> okay. Worst romantic. <laughs> yeah, and there's, there's two sequels to this. And I was like regretting right before I watched the first one. I was like, oh, man, I don't have the second one. That was a huge hit, too. We're going to skip it. I'm not going to watch it. And uh, most sequels from 1988 are rough. I'm not talking about Arthur 2 for any reason whatsoever. <laughs> Ouch. That was so bad. Um, oh, man. And Cocoon 2. Oh, shit, I forgot. Cocoon needs to be on this list. Do you know how hard that movie is to find? No one has it streaming. And it's barely... It's not even on uh, Voodoo. It's not on... Uh, really? Blu-ray. It's not on Blu-ray. This movie's on DVD and it costs a fortune. Why? It was a big hit. It's from Ron Howard. It's from a studio that's still in business. What is up with that? What's up with that? <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm doing a little Jason Sudeikis dance in my chair. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I don't know either. It's like they can't find a distributor. They uh, Well, it's why Fox. Is it so, why is it and, I guess that? it's because Disney is starting to hide some of their movies. Revenge of the Nerds cannot be found anywhere. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is disappearing because of Kirstie Swanson's talks in Joss Whedon now. Um, there's certain Fox movies that are going into the vault, and, and who knows if they'll ever come back out. Right. Not Aliens, though. That one's staying. Yeah. Uh, and Alienation. Um, so I say, yeah, this is the weakest of the bunch. Watch it if you're curious, but I have no idea why it made so much money. Yeah. I felt like there were some cool moments. Um, also, the Aboriginal actor, uh, oh god, I want to say King George. I feel like I remember him from the actual movie Walkabout. Oh, that'd be ironic since he mentions Walkabout like 9,000 times in this movie. Yeah. Oh, man. And then there was a... Yeah, no, that was it. I mean, again, just felt like it was the weakest of the bunch. It was a eh. Yeah. It's all right, I guess. It's not terrible, but when you find out how big it was, you're like, why? But that happens a lot. Honestly, for me... When I find out a movie made a lot of money, but I don't know exactly why, it's it must have been one of those, oh, you could take your parents to it. That's the only reason. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can take your parents to it. Miss Congeniality, there you go. The Proposal, I don't know. Uh, you know, Sandra Bullock movies seem to be uh, pleasing to everybody, but not loved. Oddly enough, yeah. Uh, I thought everybody did love Sandra Bullock. I know I love Sandra Bullock. I do too, but I think a lot of her movies are mediocre. I want to talk about real quick, because we're never actually going to watch it and discuss it, because I hate the fucking movie. Top Gun, I think, was the biggest movie of 1986. And... Oh, wow. I still have no idea why it's so big. Iron Eagle's so much better. There's no heart in Top Gun. It's all flash. But it made like $176 million, and my jaw just drops to the floor every time I think about that. 
I know. And, oh God, that sequel's supposed to be coming out this year. I'm actually excited about the sequel because uh, it's a different director and they're, they're uh, not trying to be cool. I think it's just going to be more... He's matured with age. Plus, he's in charge of this one, whereas it was more of a Tony Scott, Jerry Bruckheimer production. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, the death they go into, you know, pilot training. Every actor went into training. Miles Teller. Yeah. And the way they're filming it, too, like, they're, they have, like, the they adapted and created, like, these cameras to uh, follow that action. Cool. But yeah, that's all I'm going to say about Top Gun. The cast is fully loaded, and it was a huge hit. If you like it, whatever. Uh, I just not my cup of tea. Right. Uh, next one on my list. Again, this was not a weak link at all. I actually did enjoy this one. Um, again, definitely a thing of its time, but uh, star- it's starring Goldie Hawn and uh, the shenanigans that ensued in this movie. Damn, she... Pulled it off wonderfully. Hell yeah, she uh, she's Wildcats. fucking badass in this movie. She takes no shit. And we have early performances by Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson. This is right before he joined Te- uh, Cheers. And uh, way before Wesley Snipes was the name. I think it's like three years before uh, Major League. And uh, hold on a second. So Wesley Snipes has been in a baseball movie, a basketball movie, a football movie. He was in, I think it's Streets of Gold, which is a boxing movie. He was also an Undisputed, which is a boxing movie. He's done a lot of sports movies. Oh, and The yeah, Fan. Dang, the Fan back. was a baseball movie. <laughs> dang. Yeah, I didn't even think about that just right now. But yeah, Wildcats is truly a very, very charming movie from Michael Ritchie, who had just come off of doing uh, Fletch. And this is when he was kind of a hot director. He could pretty much get anything made. Goldie Hawn shepherded this through production, and I think it's a really smart script. I was completely thrown off by seeing her naked in the bathtub because I feel like Goldie Hawn should never be seen naked. Like she's like my mom, you know, cinematic mom because she's been around my entire existence. So I was like, "Whoa, no, right. no, no, that's wrong." <laughs> yeah, it did throw me for a loop for sure, I think and it's... it does like kind of. Go ahead. And it also did like kind of give um, an insight on like you know how. Poor school systems are treated. Yeah, and, and the fact that she's just cast off to this school because she's a woman and no one will treat her with respect and everybody's telling her to quit and she just refuses it. Fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. And she pulls through. She turns all those uh, ragtag uh, misfits into a champion team. Yeah, and I believe I mean, it. It's one of the best shot football movies that... You know what? You know how some movies are just about football, like necessary roughness. This is a good balance of the sport and the people involved with the sport, and I think it's really well shot, and I think it's entertaining as hell. Absolutely. Oh, indeed. And again, a great cast. You got McKelty Williamson, who's best known oh, as God, Bubba I from Force Gump. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course, he starts out. Uh, he was just skipping school, you know, stealing and whatnot, helping out his uh, uncle. But then Goldie Hawn convinces him to come back. That's the thing. That's what her was so great about her character. She, like, not only like helped him out uh, in a personal way, uh, you know, just through Kurt, uh, just through her coaching. You know, I'm looking to see who Ezra Sachs is. That name sounds really familiar because I think he wrote a really smart script. This got terrible reviews and only did okay at the box office. I'm kind of confused as to why, because it seems like it's way better than the attention it got. He only wrote three movies, FM, which I absolutely love, A Small Circle of Friends, which is about uh, Jack Kerouac and all those guys in that, that little movement of writing, and Wildcats. That's it. Three movies. Damn. That's a shame. 
Yeah, I know. It is. It's. Uh, I mean, I felt like so, like some of the jokes were very subtle, but it did flow naturally. And one of the supporting actors I liked was Tab Thacker. I mean, he was a smart. He was definitely a smart guy, you know, well with his grades and whatnot. But he was looking to make something out of it. Right. Was he in? Until, was he in one of the Police Academy movies? Yeah, I think I remember him from uh, Citizens on Patrol. Oh, okay, thank you. I, he looks so familiar. Yeah, but as far oh man, yeah, he passed away in two thousand seven. Aw. Yeah. And we have Nipsey Russell in an actual somewhat serious role, which he was always known for being kind of like a jokey, rhyming actor. Uh, Bruce McGill from, uh, well, everything, basically. Time Cop and Animal House being two big ones. Jan Hooks, before she was on SNL. And James Keach. Um, he's Stacy Keach's brother, who's kind of a character actor. But uh, I think this thing's fully loaded with uh, some pretty good acting in it. Yeah. Oh, Robin Lively. Oh, I remember her from... Teen Witch, I think. Yeah, she's from Teen Witch. Uh, not oh god, what is it? Is a bunch of ABC Disney movies. It was uh, not quite human, I believe, with Alan Thicke and the kid from The Boy Who Could Fly. But she is actually the oldest sister of Blake Lively. Oh wow! Her brother was Jason Lively, who was uh, in European Vacation. Oh, the one who played Rusty. Yeah, thank you. I couldn't remember his fucking name for a second there. <laughs> Don't you hate that? It's like, I should know this character's name. Yeah. I worship this damn movie. Yeah, my brain is Swiss cheese. Um, so, yeah, I really think this is one you should find. Uh, it, it She has a whole line of movies that she produced that were really forward-thinking for women. And uh, I think Private Benjamin, Private Benjamin is, like, the starting point of that and protocol and swing shift and stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. Oh, definitely swing shift. Hands down. I think Goldie Hawn might be my favorite actress of all time. I'm not sure. But the more that I think about the movie I she did... I can blame you. Yeah. I, she hasn't done a whole lot these days, but, you know, there was a time when she was ubiquitous. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, does she really need to do a whole lot anymore? No. No, wow. not really. She's proven herself time and again. Yeah. Just like Serena Williams. <laughs> all right. What is our next film? All right, our next movie... Oh, yeah. Now... <laughs> I mean, I was being serious about Sarah Williams. My God, that woman is a goddess on the on the court, big time. She, anyway, uh, our next movie, this one actually did kind of, kind of throw me off by surprise uh, with Robert Redford, uh, Legal Eagles. Yeah, very, very expensive movie, and I have no idea why. It was a $50 million mystery comedy. I do not see $50 million on the screen. What the fuck? <laughs> what happened? I have no idea, but the way it played out, I felt uh, it was. It was definitely like a good blend of like comedy and mystery. Yeah, it's, uh, Robert it's, Redford has. Yeah, it's kind of a throwback to older screwball comedies, but with a serious mystery in the middle of it. Yeah, I know. That's what definitely threw me off. Um, again, watching this, uh, Robert Redford, again, he's always delightful to watch. And then his, uh, the defense, pro, uh, the defense, um, the defense attorney right yes that's who it was i'm trying to remember her name thank you yeah the defense attorney uh, deborah winger uh she is she's definitely looking out for the people uh for her clientele when she knows something's up i mean yeah there was that one case at the beginning regarding all the stolen goods so it's like what she's like well shoot there's too much stacked against them what can i do <laughs> yeah and but the, with Daryl is, Hannah, the, the studio did not want her they didn't think that deborah winger was pretty enough and I think that's the biggest she, I think she's gorgeous and I think she's a hell of an actress who kind of disappeared uh, in the 90s 
And uh, there was a point, though, where she was an A-lister. And she did some really great movies. And to think that the studio said, no, nah, she's not hot enough. Fuck that studio head, whoever said that. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. They said the same thing about Nicole uh, Nicole Kidman from Batman Forever. And, yeah. What? Lo and behold. Yeah. That's... Yeah. I know. And they were proven wrong. Yep. So, so wrong. So many times. Um, yeah, we have Daryl Hannah as the mysterious girl who's involved in uh, death and thievery of some paintings. And that's the big thing is there's a plot point where some paintings were stolen years ago. Her father was killed and they're trying to figure out who's responsible and why they're setting her up. Exactly. And it gets deeper and deeper. It gets so involved with, um, oh, gosh, what? Terrence Stamp. I almost yeah. forgot his name. Yeah, think about Terrence that. Stamp was like enough... Has he ever played a good guy? Is what I want to know. Has Terrence Stamp ever played a nice guy? I mean, he was in episode one for a minute, but that was it. That episode, he was? Yeah, he was Chancellor Valorum. Oh, you're right. I totally forgot about that. Oh my gosh. I know. I don't blame you. <laughs> but, um,. Yeah, uh, evidently Terrence Stamp was an associate of her father's, and I guess he's just like really up there in the art world, making a load of money. But of course, very suspicious. And then Robert Redford and um, Deborah Winger start getting to the bottom of it, even fo- even as far as following him to his uh, uh, private warehouse uh, near the near the pier. Yeah, and there's definitely some serious risk going on in this movie. It isn't just fluff. Um, their lives are at risk. There is a real mystery. There's a fucking shootout in this that looks pretty, you know, like, like this is a serious movie. I, I think uh, Ivan Reitman has done a very good job of balancing two different genres so many times. And he does it with this. And I think the only reason this movie cost so much money is A, uh, Robert Redford had a big comeback the, the previous year with The Natural. And then Ivan Reitman broke out two years earlier with... Uh, uh, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. They probably got really big paychecks on this. But I'm also looking at the writers. Did you see who the writers of this are? No, I couldn't remember. Who were they? Jim Cash and Jack Epps. Those names are so strong for a very small time period. They did Top Gun, Legal Eagles, Secret of My Success, Turner and Hooch, Dick Tracy, and then there was a gap where they did Anaconda, Flintstones, and Viva Rock uh, Vegas. That's a lot for a very short period of time. I mean, Top Gun and Legal Eagles oh. in the same year. Oh, damn. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a really good movie. Sure. I, I think Brian Dennehy was ubiquitous to the 80s. He's one of the great heavies, literally and phys- uh, <laughs> metaphorically. Yes, of course. Yeah, no, he definitely played off uh, a villain, his whole, yeah, especially like uh, since uh, Rambo. Yeah. I was thinking Owen Sil- Silverado. Oh, that too. Oh my god, I can't believe that. We discussed that. We even discussed that one last year. Ugh. But, um... Yeah, no, I definitely did overall enjoy this movie. Or even just little things, uh... The scene, like, the scene, the scenes between Deborah Winger and Robert Redford, how they're trying to sleep. One's, like, tapping, eating ice cream. They're both watching Singing in the Rain. One's trying to fall, fall into a food coma, and it's just not working. <laughs> I'm looking at this dude. You will never believe this, but at one point, this was a buddy comedy with Dustin Hoffman and Bill Murray being offered the leads. Oh, wow. That could be another thing that cost because they had to go rewrite it as a romantic comedy, so that might have been, yeah. 
So, and I'm starting to slowly get why this costs $50 million, but still, that's a lot of money. Good lord. Mm-hmm. Oh, especially back then. Yeah. That's Superman money. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, again, a good supporting cast by, you know, people like Christine Baranski and Roscoe Lee Brown. Yeah, I think it's the first time I've ever seen... I've never seen Christine Baranski any younger. I don't think so either, no. Yeah. All right, what is our next film? Okay, our next film... Uh, I thought this one was a definitely a classic kind of situational comedy, and it's just so charming to see Tom Hanks and uh, why am I forgetting her Shelley name? Long. Not Shelley Duvall. Yeah, no Shelley Long. Shelley Long from That's my hometown. Yeah, my oh. mother went to the same high school as she did. So if you forget oh, Shelley Long's so name awesome. in my house, you're in trouble. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, Money Pit. I I remember seeing some scenes briefly here and there as a kid. And it, it again, it was pretty funny then, but then rewatching it now as an adult, I mean, it flowed quickly and naturally, and I just loved all the I just loved the chaos that uh, ensuing in this movie. Yeah, well, as an adult, <laughs> you see something like this, and it hurts that much more because an adult, you understand the pain financially and emotionally that goes into this thing. Oh God, yes. <laughs> but <laughs> one thing that really got me when. Uh, Tom Hanks was going for a loan. He was going up top, and it was to that little kid. What was his name? Billy or something like that. Oh, the little mobster boy. Yeah, he's like, if you don't, if you don't, I won't like you anymore. I'm like, <laughs> and he doesn't pout like an actual kid, but he's an actual kid, so it's gonna affect him. He's like, all right, fine. <laughs> you wouldn't do that, would you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a Spielberg production. This is when he first started, you know, getting around to getting Amblin going. And uh, I feel like, as, as good as Richard Benjamin is as a director, I feel like Steven, King, uh, Steven Spielberg had a hand in designing a lot of these stunt sequences. This is a farce. This is wild and crazy. There's so much visual chaos going on. I absolutely love this. I saw this on TV when I was a kid, and I've seen it probably a hundred times, and it just works. It, it, I think it gets better every time I see it. Right. Oh gosh, <laughs> um, I will. I will definitely say, yeah. Just the first time watching it, I enjoyed it highly. Uh, even as um, the little subplot going on, you know, like uh, their troubled marriage, you know, just trying to get their house together. Uh, yeah, it was just so funny to see her like kind of like cheat on her ex uh, conductor, uh, her ex husband, who was that conductor with the accent. And oh god, I just wanted to smack that. Guy. Alexander Goodman, <laughs> so who most people know as the villain from Die Hard. Right, <laughs> and he played that off so well. Yes, uh, in this movie, it's yeah. like, gosh, I wanted to shoot you back in Die Hard. <laughs> yeah, and he's uh, across the face. He's uh, he's very manipulative. He's seductive, but so evil. <laughs> exactly, and it worked out to his benefit. Some, I mean, well, he's famous. He was a famous uh, conductor, and he's got a lot of money anyway, so he's yeah. fine. <laughs> but man, again, just uh, oh, seeing some of the background characters. We had Joe Montana pop up for a minute. He was the actual carpenter, a sleaze, but he was an actual uh, carpenter to get all the flooring and uh, woodwork done. Right. And then, oh, uh, uh, Bodies by Jake. What's his last name? Oh, Steiner, I think. Jake Steiner? Yeah, I think that's it. The one who yelled dumb fuck from Coming to America. <laughs> <laughs> that too, if anybody would recognize. Fuck you too! But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. 
Seriously, again, uh, just as it played out, you know, them, like, trying to reconcile their problems in front of the entire crew, and everyone's just watching it like it's a soap opera. Oh, yeah, their house <laughs> is just such a disaster from day one. Watching everything fall apart slowly in the... the, the... The Rube Goldberg traps that they set up, the domino effect of these things, it's just crazy. But my favorite, absolute favorite, is when, after all this torture, they go to take a bath. He pours the water into the bathtub. It sinks through the ceiling and crashes. And he has a laugh that I'm not going to be able to intimid- uh, Im- imitate because it's Imit- fucking insane. Oh, God. <laughs> 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 you know, like, whatever. And it's just so... <laughs> I have never laughed harder than I did when I saw that scene as a child. I know. It's like, how many takes do you think they had to go through Oh, my through God. That, they let, sure you, so. I was going to say that, and they probably let him just improv. Oh, God. And it was like that Home Alone 2 moment when uh, Mars pretending to get, like, getting electrocuted. And then, uh, uh, what's his name? Daniel Stern's like uh, mentioning in an interview, and he's like, "Yeah, no, I'm still shaking. I'm on the floor." And then I look over to myself, and I notice Chris Columbus is still laughing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure is, a moment like that had to have happened with this. This is back when he used to be funny, guys. There was a time where Tom Hanks wasn't the all-American dad. He wasn't the stately whatever you want to call him. You know, always playing military roles, and you know, like. Uh, you know, uh, motivational kind of people. He was just a normal, everyday, blue-collar dude. And he did this for about five or six years. And then, of course, he wins the Oscar for Philadelphia, and then everything changed. But, I mean, you're talking Splash, uh, Bachelor Party, Money Pit, Dragnet, The Burbs, Turner and Hooch, Tom, or what's the one? Uh, Joe versus the Volcano. There was a period there where he did very funny. Oh, and Big, of course. Big we're going to have to discuss. Oh yeah, no, that's what that's an all time classic. Yeah. All right, what is our next? Yeah, song? No, I, Sorry, I yawned. I apologize. Everybody probably heard that. I know. Now it's going to affect everybody else. Yep, you're all going to yawn. All right, um. Okay. Okay. This one. Uh. Again, great production, great direction by Francis Ford Coppola. He, whenever he does like a period piece of like the time he was growing up in, he captures it beautifully. Yes. And it was filmed around Santa Rosa and Penaluma and Sonoma County. And, you know, which is where I've lived for a few years, and you could even notice, like, some of the buildings if you've lived and grown up there. Uh, Peggy Sue got married. Yeah, you're not that far from it. You still get to see those sometimes. Um, This is when Francis Ford Coppola was hurt and bad. Um, He started doing movies for hire instead of developing his own projects because um, he had a heart attack. Or no, that was Martin Sheen, I think, had a heart attack on Apocalypse Now, but that was a very troubled production. And then he invested all his money into a movie called One from the Heart, I believe it's called. It's with Terry Garr. It was a musical that lost everything. And then he did The uh, the Outsiders, which did okay. But then Rumblefish bombed really hard. Cotton Club bombed really hard. And the, a couple of the movies that he had produced had just completely and absolutely disappeared. They didn't make any money whatsoever. So this is when he is now a director for hire. And... Thank God he picked the right project and it was a hit because it saved his career because it would be a while before he had another hit. And I think it's truly a sign of how great Kathleen Turner was as a lead and people forget that for a decade she was uh, she drew people to the theaters to see her movies. Oh, absolutely, especially with that voice and you know how commanding she was in her presence. 
Yeah, and she's oh, very vulnerable in this, the way she was in the first Romancing the Stone, because a lot of people think her as like seductive and sexy, but this one she's very vulnerable, and um, it has a little bit of the Back to Future nostalgia, let's go back to high school and fix things feel to it, but it's a different atmosphere. It's not about special effects. It's not about stunts. It's not even really about jokes. It's lightly funny. And there's some weird shit going on. I'm telling you right now, Nicolas Cage, what the fuck? I'm so proud of you. <laughs> so young and so weird. I mean, this is only a couple years after Valley Girl made him a name, and he is just fucking winging this in such a weird-ass way. He's got fake teeth. He's got a wig, I think, for some of it. And he talks like this the whole time. Oh, Peggy yeah, Goo. Yes, and he's supposed to be a hot figure, but yes. And it's got Jim Carrey uh, before he was Jim, you know, Jim carry that everybody knew uh who i think is really funny um yes absolutely it's it's got kevin j o'connor who's a character actor who most people probably know is like one of the guys from the mummy or gi joe he's uh just uh kind of a goofball actor it's kind of like a beatnik kind of guy in the 50s um and helen hunt a really young helen hunt yes yeah, she played peggy sue's daughter yeah uh uh again yeah as you can tell in the movie you know uh yeah, Kathleen Turner's character was very vulnerable. She just divorced Nicolas Cage. When everybody had that whole uh, ideal future where it's like, oh, we're all going to get married to our high school sweethearts and this and that. And it's like, yeah, no. Real life can take a dead, uh, sick turn sometimes. Yeah. And the funny thing out. is, there's one thing they really don't do in this is uh, Back to the Future is all about if you tweak one little thing, like butterfly effect. It'll, it'll change the entire mm-hmm. outcome. But this doesn't really talk about that. But she's clearly changing her future by altering her relationship with uh, Nicolas Cage back then. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can tell, like, even after, like, altering some things and changing some things around, you know, his music career not uh, launching, him being stuck with his dad's, him, like, you know, getting into his dad's business, still being successful. But at the same time... You know, he's like, you know, willing to forsake all that because he really does, deep down, care for Peggy Sue. And, of course, when she wakes up back in the future, uh, in the pre- or present time, then anyway, yeah, they end up just kind of reconciling and uh, getting back together. Yeah, I think the smartest thing to do, to do in a movie like this where they're playing double roles, it's like how they did with Back to the Future... But this time they find someone kind of in the middle. They're playing high school students, but they're clearly in their 40s in present day. So you find someone who's in their 20s or early 30s, and they can play both. That's really the only way you can do this. Oh, absolutely, yes. And they played it off so well. Especially, like again, Jim Carrey definitely was, uh, in this movie, like subtle as far as his comedic ingenuity is. But... He was just, uh, again, great to watch. Yeah, you can see seeds of what was to come, though, with his acting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we have a young Joan Allen, Catherine Hicks, who I believe had a banner year because she would appear in uh, Star Trek IV later in 86. Yes. And then she would also be in Child's Play. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that one. Yeah, it's it's a really subtle, sweet movie, and I, I just really enjoyed it. Oh, absolutely. And, again, it's definitely something to watch. And it's just so quick-paced. I mean, it's only an hour and a half. Yeah. But still, it doesn't drag on. Yeah, it's not... The funny thing is it's not... 
plot-based or movement-based. It's all character-based, but that's how they get the story going, is just watching the development and her trying to change things. Exactly, and people are more invested in character Yeah. Uh, overall, if you, were to th- if you think about it. Mm. This one, this next movie... If we're if we are moving on, right? Yeah, it is, and this is our final movie, a movie of nineteen eighty six uh, segment. This okay, yes. Um, this is my absolute favorite of the bunch that oh, we just. Oh god, watched. it's so I... good! It's so fucking yes, it is. good, and the power, the power that Ron Howard had for so long. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. It's a it's a Ron Howard flick. That's what I think was what helped it make it so enjoyable. And you know, of course. Um, his familiarity with Michael Keaton from Night Shift was a kind of easy segue yeah. uh, into coming into this world. Gung Ho. Absolutely and... amazing film. And I, I'm telling you right now, the 80s were known for being homophobic and xenophobic. And it takes someone oh, like Ron Howard to not go for easy jokes. Yes, there is tension. And there's moments where you're like, uh-oh, where are we going to go with this? But it really does play a very subtle and it never goes straight to the stereotype or xenophobia. I mean, there's obviously there with the characters, but not from the viewpoint of the filmmaker. Mm-mm. No, it's the view of the characters themselves. Right. That's what was great. That was one of the that was one of the great things about it. To not say anything about it would be a lie because there's characters like George Wentz character and uh, John Turturro who have huge problems with it. It was the '80s and everybody was raw, raw America, you know, Reagan era, and. Um, to ignore that would be a lie, and especially when you're talking like what were they in Ohio? I think. Yes, there was a small town in Ohio, small town no less. Yeah, and if you haven't and... seen it, it's about a town where the the plant, the Toyota plant or whatever it was, is going under, and they're doing anything they can to save it. So the Japanese company comes in and decides to take over and change things to their way, and there's a lot of budding heads between. Uh, you know Michael Keaton's team and Getty Watanabe's team and trying to come together and save this town because the plant is the main thing in this town it's really rousing and, and oh my god the, the, the fucking sequence where they're playing tough enough and they're all getting together to build enough cars that's a badass sequence I know I absolutely love that moment it was just where everybody was getting together and um, I, you just saw how Everybody was just um, in synchronization now. There was something else I wanted to mention about it too. Oh yeah, Kenny Watanabe. His performance though, uh, just just throughout was just so great to watch. Like you could see like um, how he's so determined to like get this plant going. You know. Yeah. From an honorable sense, like even as he mentions it when he's like having the drinks with Michael Keaton. Oh god, that was a great sequence. That was such a great sequence. Well, and we're talking about a guy who came off two somewhat offensive performances which he did in 16 candles and i mean not what he does but what the director and writer have him do in that and vamp is he's a dipshit drunken idiot and in this one he's much smarter more sensitive and um i don't know if you know this but this was a tv show it it came after after the movie came out the next year there was a tv show where he uh continued his character Oh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it was pretty good. It lasted one season, and uh, Scott Bakula had taken over from Michael Keaton. Right. Well, as we know, Michael Keaton went on to so many other projects. Right. Yeah, this is when he was really at his peak of comedy, too, because he doesn't do comedy either. Just like Tom Hanks, they become elder statesmen where they don't seem to want to have fun. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No, but 
again, just the way that it played out, I mean, these were just like some very, you know, attractive and charismatic guys, you know, on both ends. Yeah. And, and I, I think there's a really, again, just, there's a really interesting flawed part with Michael Keaton's character besides the fact that he lies to all of them. But there's a part where he's trying to show that he's uh, man enough to handle all this. And when his girlfriend or wife, uh, Mimi Rogers, is with him at this dinner, she starts to talk and he tells her to shut up. Holy shit, does she not take that lightly? She fucking told him to eat shit and die. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. And then it's like when it came to, you know, being researched, she's like, I feel like I'm just a, a nice pair to look at, you know. Uh, at the, when I'm at that table, that's how you treated me. Yeah. And then he like compared her to another girl. She's like, "Oh, so you're thinking about that?" So that made it even worse. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I, I think. It, but yeah, no, it's the best of the bunch. It's so good. It's so much heart. It is absolutely. I know that's the thing you can't get wrong with the Rod Howard film. He has a lot of heart in his movies. Yeah, give, uh, you give so much shit, you are away. just cold and dead inside. <laughs> right. Yeah. Even with Far and Away, there was a lot of heart in that. That's what what held the movie together. Yeah, and which, then, um, 92, buddy. That'll be coming up. Oh, yes. And then, of course, again, what Ron Howard did with Solo. So goddamn good. Maligned for no reason whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'd say I think that's about it. That was the last movie. Yep. Okay, so coming up, hopefully he has access to these movies. I'll try to find them for him if he can't. But on the next episode, we'll be discussing Best of Times with Kurt Russell and uh, Robin Williams. And if you have access to Down and Out Beverly Hills, please tell me because I'll get it to you. If you don't, uh, Ruthless People, Great Mouse Detective, Offbeat, the Lost Disney production with uh, Judge Reinhold. And it's very, very good. And Mech Tilly. And uh, let's see what else we got. Um, there's Tough Guys. Uh, hopefully I can find that for you with uh, Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas. It's a very, very funny movie. Um, mm. Trying to think what else we got here. We got Platoon, Hoosiers, possibly Color of Money if I can find it, Jumpin' Jack Flash, and Nothing in Common. That'll be it of the 86 movies, I believe. If I can find all those, of course. Mean- I'm trying. Oh, you mean, don't you mean 87? No. Why'd you say 87? Oh! These are 86. This is more movies from 86. Oh, okay. Oh, you're just listing them. My yeah, I'm just kind of giving people a tease of what's possible for the next episode if I can get these movies too, Jacob. Yes, please do. Okay, everybody. Uh, check us out on Facebook under Hit Rewind Podcast. And Jacob, send us out. All right, everybody. Namaste and good luck. Party on, dudes. What'd you say? I'm sorry I interrupted you. I wasn't expecting you. <laughs> I know. I was like, y'all take care of yourselves now. <laughs> Come on back now. You hear? <laughs>
Dude, Alan Sylvester's score. I'm sorry. It just brings up Sylvester Stallone for me. <laughs> you know, we went and saw a double feature of Batman Forever and Judge Dredd, not realizing these are the two most expensive movies of the summer, and they're both insanely cheesy before we watched them. Uh, Batman Forever has aged poorly. Judge Dredd, in a way, has... Um, I, th- I think it's gotten better with time. You hate it. I don't mind it so much. I, I thought it was kind of terrible at the time I watched it. I remember we came home from it. We were running around because my friend lives out in the country. We are running out like in the uh, cornfields, whatever. I'm law! Just yelling at each other. Uh, so <laughs> finally we're stepping away from Marvel and DC. I know everybody's been listening over the last 25 or so episodes. It's just almost been strictly those two. I think we did a couple others. You and I discussed... Uh, Valiant Comics. Yeah. We discussed the birth of Image Comics on an earlier episode. Uh, trying to move away from the yeah. two, the two trying to go a little more independent. Uh, so hey, you uh, suggested Dread like a year ago when I'm getting my sweet ass timer <laughs> getting around to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, I mean, as far as like hating the movie, I didn't hate it too much. I mean, it really captured the visual style of the original 2080 um, uh, magazine print. Yeah. But, also, the uh, costumes were designed by uh, Gianni Versace. And scored by Alan Silvestri. There's a lot going for this movie, and you are very correct with the fact that there are so many bad things with this movie. Now, I didn't know what the big deal was because I had never read Dread. In fact, up until mm, two weeks ago, I have never read a single scrap of Dread. I think I noticed the judgment on Gotham. You know, the Batman Judge Dredd uh, series. I, I, I flipped through Dropped it real quickly. by Mike Mignola. Yeah. Is it? Is it? I haven't read that thing since it yeah. came out. That was like 94, I think. 93 or 94. Um, yeah. I had no idea uh, Judge Dredd was a comic book either until, again, just in very recent uh, years. Yeah. It, uh, I actually read uh, all the collections and the uh, case files from the original uh, 2008 run. Whoa, wait. How many do you have? One through five. Uh, five. There's 19 of them now. Yeah. <laughs> Case Files 19 just came out um, this week or last week. Uh, so you suggested, of course, starting off at the beginning. I was told to start off with um, book five because that's where all the great stories really kick in. And I was like, you know what? I'm really tempted, but I do want to see where it came from, how this series started. So uh, I know some people out there listening to this episode are probably like, oh, my God, you're just, you're just like scratching the surface. I know this. But you got to start somewhere. And I only yeah. have the Complete Case Files book one. And I have The Best of Dread, yeah. uh, which a friend gave me. So it's a mixture of what's in this book Good. and then and then a few other stories. And I was a I bit also... shocked at how scrawny Judge Dread was in the beginning. Yeah, everybody was very thin. I don't know. It, it just seemed that way. Like, you look at, um, like, uh, cer- you watch, like, certain, like, documentaries and stuff about, like, people in Europe. And they're also very well fit because they eat so healthily. Yeah. Then well, again, this is the U.S. You're also taking in the fact that this is like a post-apocalyptic world. There's too many people. There's not enough resources. So, of course, I think everybody's going to be scrawny. It's going to be like the bare minimum of food allowed. Even if you're Judge Dredd, who, hey, every once in a while you might get like a synthetic steak or something. I don't know. Did they even have meat? I didn't see any animals in this at all. No, it's kind of hard to tell. Uh, gosh, did I just, you know, rely on raw protein itself and turn it into some kind of like little bar is it like Snowpiercer, where it's all ground-up bugs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, kinda, so... It does kind of hard to tell, but... You have read five books, this, so you know the story better than I do, and I know there's other people out there who really know the story. 
how exactly did this happen? How did they end up with a whole country being condensed down to two cities? Well, it wasn't necessarily two cities. I think there's I think there's multiple ones, but there's one on the East Coast which runs from like Boston up to like you know New York, and then there's one that runs from like the West uh, that goes on along the West Coast. I think it had, if I remember correctly, there was a nuclear war, and it all start and I think it all started with um, uh, I think yeah no the U.S. president was a billionaire. <laughs> is that a joke? Is that yeah. really how it started? Are you talking? Carlos, yeah, Carlos Esqueda and John Wagner uh, really did. They really did see what America was eventually going to become like, and uh, oh, they, pretty much, they pretty much nailed it. Oh no, I don't want to live in. Especially in the design process. Especially in the design process, you look at the um, you look at the judges, and they you know their symbol is the eagle, and it's always been used as a totalitarian kind of symbol for you know Nazi Germany. Yeah, that's the and thing about this story. Well World War yeah, I'm looking at this, and um, it's hard to side with the judges. Yes, there's a lot of crime, but a lot of these judges are so fascist. And it's like, you guys are kind of like Nazis. Oh, yeah. Dude, even Judge Dredd himself, he definitely is. Yeah, it's it's weird looking you know, at I mean, it. I'm flipping through the stories right now, and I it's just like he's unrelenting. And, and there's something slightly uh, cool about the guy who will not back off no matter what. But, you know, that's the Captain America. He has the right way of not backing off and standing his ground. But Judge Red is, like, kind of myopic and, like, uh, no gray zones whatsoever. All black and white. Yeah, you punks broke the law. That's so empty jail time. <laughs> um, there's a couple things that, you know, in the very beginning have changed since then. But, you know, you look at him, of course, he's really scrawny. He's got big girly lips. But the boots have completely altered. His gun doesn't have, like, the variable... Uh, bullets, you know, double whammy. <laughs> it's still like rapid fire. Oh, no. Rapid fire. Signal flare! <laughs> hey, hey, you making fun yeah, of me? No, it doesn't. Push the <laughs> Okay, uh, before you we get say to... That at all in the books. That's a Hollywood bullshit. Yeah, uh, oh, I, I knew you'd say that. It's just another one of those bullshit Hollywood lines. <laughs> <laughs> he also okay so it's really hard to do an impersonation of Sylvester Stallone without accidentally turning into the cook from you can't do that on television have you ever seen you can't do that on television oh god it sounds familiar it's the show that Lance Morissette starred on when she was a teenager before she was a musician it's a Canadian show and oh. it's all, all like these short little sketches vignettes it's like um what do you want to call it uh laughing yeah laughing like a... for kids or Saturday Night Live for kids. Somewhere. Yeah, but and it was super gross. So they would always have these questions, like uh, they would trick each other into saying what, and if you said what, or I don't know, I think it was I don't know, a slime would pour from the ceiling on them. Um, but they had this one sketch where it was this old greasy guy working at this, uh, you know, like kind of burger joint, and it was always something horribly disgusting. He's like, yeah, hey kids, I've been drinking all day long. I don't know what's going on. And I might have put the rats in your burger instead of the trash. And they're like, hey, you're chewing on the tail. Blah, and they all throw up. <laughs> you have, have to see clips of The show's insane. The fact they got on Nickelodeon stuns me. Um, but it is hard. <laughs> you, you start off doing Sylvester Stallone, you sometimes end up sound like... The guy's name is Barf, by the way. The chef's name is Barf. Oh, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> Chef Barf. <laughs> chef Barf. <laughs> is he related to Roseanne Barf? <laughs> no. <laughs> Roseanne Barf? <laughs> Okay, never mind. Um, okay. But, okay, so real quick, the movies. Uh, you love the second one. And kind of, 
a lot of people love that one and dismiss the first one. And I saw the second one, and every time I, I've watched it, I sit there and I go, I'm not having any fun. I'm not having any fun watching this. It is so bleak and, and gory, just insanely gory. Is the comic like that now? Uh, yeah, uh, as it progressed, like I think later on, like throughout the 90s, yeah, it got pretty bloody. And I like the satire that's in these early comics. Does that stick around too, or have they have they gone more mainstream? Like, got rid of all the subversive humor. Um, I'm not really sure. I mean, there was like some subversive like humor here and there. I mean, I've also, I mean, just re- I mean, the one I've read, uh, most recent issue or book that I've read of Judge Dredd was the one that took place uh, after the movie. Yeah, I've been reading some of the IDW stuff. Elements that made Dredd Dredd. IDW relaunched it in America. So they ditched all of that, uh, all that backstory, kind of rebooted it for American audiences. Because Judge Dredd really is just a minor cult thing in this country. IDW has given a little bit higher profile, but um, yeah, I'm not sure how they've approached the situation if they've ditched all the uh, subversive humor and just gone straight forward. But I feel like that's something that was necessary to the series is that it's making fun of the excesses of America. It's making fun of like Dirty Harry. And uh, and oh, I yeah. and, and you and I are staunch liberals, but they do mock some of the cliches of being a liberal. Um, there is some I stuff I, I write a little bit in the middle on, on certain issues, but in general, though, I'm let's just say this: Trump is Satan. <laughs> Actually, uh, no, no, he's he not clever enough to be Satan. <laughs> I find him a little too dumb to be Satan. Yeah, maybe Satan's you know a minion. Son. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Um, Judge Dredd I think at the beginning there's a lot of really goofy stories that are charming in their goofiness and this is from a company I think the UK has never really been known for like high level art and writing with a lot of the stuff that I've seen from them like the Marvel UK was a disaster I don't know if you've ever read that it was terrible mm. uh, the Transformers comic that they did uh, had excellent writing but god awful art and then you got Dread. Even from the beginning, excellent artwork, excellent writing. The writing does get better through time. I think it's kind of misleading that on the very first book that it shows Brian Boland being the main artist on this, but he really is only a small chunk of this. He's just the biggest name, but there's a lot of really great art in this. Again, Carlos uh, Carlos Esquera is the one I believe. Yeah, he's the one who's responsible for creating. We have, yeah, we have Massimo Berardelli. I'm not gonna say that right, but he's done a ton of stuff over there. Um, Where's the yeah. one that I, Ian Gibson? See, I know Ian Gibson. Um, he did the Judge or the Boba Fett miniseries that I read years ago, and I feel like there was another one. Mike McCann. He worked on Legends of Dark Knight. Now, I don't particularly remember his name, but his art looks very familiar. But all around, excellent. And as the series progresses, it does get better and better. The detail is insane. Mike McCann. Is he, doesn't he work with, hasn't he worked with uh, Neil Gaiman on uh, Sandman Chronicles? It's possible. Here it only lists Batman Legends of the Dark Knight, The Last American, and um, basically stuff from 2000 AD. And also 2000 AD is a new thing to me, too, because never, I've never read this before, except for a few of those reprints that I, I sent you. I think of Strontium Dog. Oh, yeah. Maybe. Gentleman Dog, there's Rogue Trooper, there's BBC Warriors, which is actually uh, in the first movie with Stallone, uh, that giant robot in the ABC Warrior. Oh, it is. Okay, I love that. That robot is such a cool design. I'm like, yeah, and definitely Danny. I mean, he's a huge comic book fan, but Hollywood definitely has been changing it around. What did bug me was, you know, anonymity. I mean, hey, 
Hey everybody, sorry we had an audio glitch there. Um, we were talking about the ABC Warriors. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that that was part of another series. So is is that part of Judge Dredd? It was a spinoff. How does that work? I think yeah, I think it took place uh, before. I, I think a time during the formation of some of the mega cities, if I remember correctly. I will say this about Judge Dredd: the way he's, um, you know, how the way like in the U.S. Uh, when it comes to comic books, uh, you know, people. You know, Revere Superman is the number one superhero. That's kind of like how Judge Dredd is there in the UK. Yeah, which like if for some reason, no matter how many times they try, he really just cannot break through to an American audience. And they've tried a lot of crossovers with Batman, and I know they did the Predator and Aliens crossover, which I got to read because that sounds like a lot of fun. Oh fuck yeah! <laughs> but yeah, no, for some reason he just it is it does it baffles me. Well, I Again, think it's because uh, or, comics overseas have a whole different attitude than we do here. We don't really have this kind of like uh, satire that you know that the overseas comics do. I, I've been read some Italian comics like Dan Dare and and uh, oh, what is it, Dylan Dog? That's actually what I meant to say. Dylan Dog is actually an excellent comic book. A lot of Italian stuff is totally different. UK has a has a kind of a tongue in cheek approach. Um, mm. Which American comics really just have never attempted, except maybe for Gru. I don't know if you ever read Gru. It was a parody of Conan the Barbarian. It's, oh, I think I have. I think you sent me some Gru. Did I? I don't recall. Gru was basically uh, dipshit, but with the savage, you know, brutality <laughs> of Conan. Except, you know, unlike Conan, who was uh, very particular about who he was going to kill, Gru was just a lunatic, constantly stabbing everybody and anything. <laughs> it just upset him. Uh, it, it's I been... just imagine it like that scene from Monty Python where Lancelot kills everybody at the wedding. Yeah, it's actually a lot like that, where he's just like hack and slash, and like, why did you do this? I'm like, I'm sorry, I, get, I misunderstood. <laughs> and he's got this dog who's smarter than him, and he's always trying to get him out of problems. Uh, Sergio Aragones, the Mad Magazine artist, or some people who watch the bloopers and Practical Jokes with Dick Clark and, um, uh, damn it, what's his name? He goes, Hoo-ah! oh, Ed wow. McQueen. Uh, they used to host a TV show that had cartoons by Sergio Aragones. Right. Oh, wow. That does, I'll have to look into that. That sounds pretty fucking funny. Gru comics. God, no, that does sound familiar as hell. Um, anyway. So back to Dread. Uh, I didn't realize that these were all like vignettes or like little short pieces because they were part of the 2000 AD comics. So they're only like six pages long, which actually, honestly, I, I keeps me from getting bored and I don't skim through. I just kind of like get a few chunks here and there. I'll read like, you know, maybe t- two or three stories a night. You know, sometimes I'll binge on it. Yeah. And when it was all done, I was like, that was a hell of a ride. It is. No, I mean, I managed to get through these pretty quickly, like throughout all the volumes I have. I mean, I do like some of the later artwork where he does look a little bit more, uh, you know, bigger and bulkier. And if you notice, though, he does age normally. Does he? He is fairly young in the in the beginning. And all of a sudden he's just like, oh, hey. Yep, I've gotten old throughout the years. (laughs) I will say, though, uh, as far as live action adaptations, I mean, uh, again, Stallone just couldn't pull off that like smug look too much. Yeah. Well, also, he took off his helmet. Which they've never done, which I didn't know at the time. But here, it's like, nope. He, no matter what, everybody else will have their helmet off. He won't. I know. Again, it gave anonymity and uh, mystery to the character. Yeah. I mean, you do eventually later on as you read the novels, you do find out there was a, uh, there was Rico, Judge Rico, who was his uh, brother, and they, you do find out he's a clone. Yeah. So that's essentially what it looks on. like. But they do they hint at it, um, the fact that he's been horribly injured. That's why he doesn't take his mask off. Like the top of his head must be nasty or something. Yeah, it's all just speculation, really. 
But when they do take off his helmet, and, like, you only see it from the perspective of the, of, you know, the criminals, they're like, oh, God, he looks fucking horrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, raw meathead. <laughs> yeah, I know, but when, uh, with, uh, I will say this, with Carl, Carl Urban, yeah. I think he did a fantastic job. He, he definitely uh, dread for me. He does, but I miss some of the humor. Season. Yeah, I miss some of the humor that was part of that character, at least what I've read so far, and I was like, oh, because... You watch him as Bones, and you're like, oh, he's going to get that. And it's like, oh, no, it's not there at all. And here's the other thing that hurt the movie for me is that I saw Raid Redemption a couple months prior to Dread. And it's essentially the same plot. Kind of, yeah. It's it's definitely a siege movie. But the thing is, Dread was already in production uh, before the Raid. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just all coincidental. It's all about timing. Yeah, it's like saying that Surviving the Game was a ripoff of Hard Target when they were only like four or five months apart. Or Deep Impact and Armageddon. It's just that's how movies happen in Hollywood. They just sometimes they line up being made at the same time. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I don't know. Armageddon, you know, Michael Bay. I'm just saying that that's the genre. It's just how it happens. There's there's two uh, uh, volcano movies. There's two Hercule movies. Uh, uh, Let's talk about Summer of 89 when there was four underwater monster movies. Oh, yeah. But I, will, I just want to say this. I mean, just mentioning Michael Bay puts a bad taste in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're not going to go into it. I, I know somebody who went to see last night, and he's like, but you hate Transformer movies. He goes, yeah, but I was curious to see how bad it was. I was like, are you a sadist? What is wrong with you? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, dude. I don't blame him. I mean, honestly, I, w- I would not pay to see how bad that movie is. Yeah. I I'd, I'd I'd try to watch it for free. Okay, so two things have changed significantly in his costume is the fact that the armor on his shoulders has gone bonkers level. It's huge. And that's the way it is in the Judge Dredd movie, and I don't understand why. Why would you have an eagle that's so gigantic that you can barely see over it, unless it's like some sort of protective, uh, you know, to keep bullets from hitting you in the head? Yeah, but only from that side. What about the other side? You're fucked. I don't know. Um, maybe he's that right-handed, and I don't know. It's just looking at it, like even at the end of this book, when it's returned to Mega City after he's been in space for so long, which was a cool story. You know, I, I think for like yeah, two yeah. months that he was out in space. But his shoulder piece is kind of low. You know, it just looks cool. And then, you know, I got the best of Dread, which is like, you know, up until a few years ago, like a collection of stories, and the eagle is so massive. You're like, no, that's just bonkers. What are you thinking? That is highly impractical, and that's not going to help him survive on the field. Yeah, and Carl Urban, his version is like this streamlined, badass suit where everything is like logistical, you know, and he's like, okay, that's if I were going out in the field, that's what I would look like. Yeah, I know. And I mean, there is that um, sculpted in kind of like golden eagle on the shoulder pads, too. So I'm like, that helps out a lot. Yeah. The the chain to the badge is another thing that I don't get. He's always fighting, and you would think someone would just grab that chain and pull him near him, punch him right in the face. Yeah, no. Again, another flaw in the design department. <laughs> All right. Um, Store. Go ahead. It, it did. Uh, no, it did resemble somewhat uh, a bit of a the, kind of the Gestapo. Like even the uh, the cross. You know how like that little motif on the helmet, like between the lenses. Mm-hmm. It's like kind of this cross motif. It's like a. Oh it, yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. If yeah. you were to reshape it, it would look back like a um, swastika. Huh. I know, is... but I will say the helmets look more accurate than they did in the first movie. The first movie was just all, like, you know, kind of looking smooth and pretty. Yeah, well, also the fact that he was barely in the helmet. It's just at the beginning of the movie and the end. The first 15 minutes of uh, Dread are fantastic. You know, it's got the attitude down. It even takes a bit from one of the first stories with uh, James Remar as the villain during the block war. 
And yeah. then they introduce Rob Schneider. And the problem is, okay, so Rob Schneider, when he's funny, he's not funny. And when he's kind of the straight man or the serious guy, he's so much better. He can play drama, except that he looks goofy, so people don't let him play drama. But watch Benchwarmers, a awful movie that he's very good in. Or um, what's the one where he goes to jail and becomes like a martial artist? Shit. Fuck, that does sound familiar. Um, not The Chosen. Uh, uh, Big Stan. Big Stan, he's really good in that. He's also good in this movie called American Crude, um, where he's pretty serious in it. When he's dramatic, he's actually quite good. Now, I've heard rumors that Judge Dredd was NC-17 during the first cut. And then the studio, oh, came in and, and the studio came in and said, look, we've spent $75 million on this movie. We can't be having a movie that's you know NC-17. In fact, we've changed our mind. We don't even want an R-rated movie. We want you to reshoot... Add more scenes of Rob Schneider, play up the comedy of it, and uh, and uh, it's going to cost you now ninety million instead of seventy five million, and that's what you got. So apparently, there's an NC seventeen cut where Rob Schneider isn't constantly yammering on and on. And there's a fucking thing in this movie which drives me crazy: is him constantly going, ah, "Dread, dread, ah, dread." I know. I was like, "God, just shoot him already, Dread, yeah. please." <laughs> yeah, and I want to see that yeah. version, and 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 I can see why you know. Come on, they're they're paying fifteen million dollars to uh, Stallone. He's not going to bitch and moan. And then they're going to pay Rob Schneider, you know, a decent amount of money. And it's his first like headlining role. Well, not headlining, but you know, one of the main right, characters yeah. in this huge movie. He's not going to bitch and complain. As like, yeah, sure, whatever you need, you know, Disney, you, you're, you're footing the bill. I'm I'm ready to go. Yeah, yeah, no, Diane Lane. Too, let's not forget Diane Lane. Lane, uh, Armando Santi, Max von Sydow, Jurgen Prochnow. Yeah, yeah. There, uh, my favorite line in this is Armand Desante coming in and, uh, why did you judge me, Dread? And Stone goes, you broke the law! And he goes, law! Law! You betrayed the law! I know, I thought that was too damn funny. <laughs> and then there's that moment, then that moment where he's about to break down and cry, he's like, that's your family, I'm your family, I'm the only family you ever had! He he's oh, God, he like, goes for it in this I movie. Been a contender. Seriously, he goes for it in this movie. He's swinging for the fences. If people say he's terrible in this movie, I actually think he's amazing. He's holding this movie together. Yeah, no, he definitely is. That's what a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people who watched like uh, that version of Judge Red, they all say that Armando Sandi was great as the villain. And and uh, I love the robot. I love Max von Sydow in this movie. Diane Lane's fine in this. Um, I like the yeah, hillbilly scenes. Now, in the comic, they really dive into the, the cursed angel earth. Family. Yeah, the cursed earth is a big part of the comics. It's in fact the angel story is actually part of it. Our angel family is part of it, mm-hmm. and they spend so much time showing you. Hey, yes, there was a post-apocalyptic thing going on. We have these two major sophisticated cities, which are miles up in the air. You know, we even have cloud, you know, space towns. But what was part of the cursed earth? You know, there's still little towns, there's these cults, and, and all this stuff that they never touched upon in the movie because, I don't know if they ran out of money or they just didn't have the time, but I feel like all they did was like, oh, it's just a cave and, and that family, and that was it. And I was like, oh, you guys could have shown so much more. There's still life out on Cursed Earth. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Again, another, another opportunity that would have should, definitely should have been shown up if it was successful enough to get a sequel. Yeah. Which it wasn't. I still well, remember. Domestically here in the U.S. Yeah. Internationally, were, it made its money. They were talking about that, how I remember the weekend after it came out that they go, oh, Stallone's disappointed that his new franchise, Dread, is not taking off, you know, and 
and that there was planned to do a trilogy, and, well, that didn't happen. And if there was anybody who could keep a franchise alive, it's Stallone, which is a shock, you know? It's like Rocky, Rambo, Expendables, he keeps those suckers going. And uh, Dread just didn't work out for him. This is a really rough period for him where Demolition Man could have been a franchise, but it didn't just make enough money. Specialist, Cliffhanger, all these movies made like their money back, but not enough to warrant a sequel. Sadly, no. Now, it wasn't something that people could get enough of. Yeah, the sequel, or not the sequel, I guess, is it? it's not a sequel, it's not a remake, it's not a reboot, it's just another slice of Dread Pie, I guess, if you want to call it that. You know, that one was a huge yeah. flop, $50 million, and I think it made like 12 here. And about the same overseas, and that wasn't anywhere nearly enough to cover the budget. So that you know, dead in the water. I think the Stallone dread hurt this dread because people were like, "Oh no, not another shitty movie," you know. Um, but now they're yeah, talking no, about TV they series. Sure, what to expect? But uh, critics' reviews were actually really good. Oh yeah, yeah. It didn't help. I don't know why no one cared. I think they were just burned from the it, first one. I I know. I, I mean, that was like what over almost twenty years ago. Uh, Ninety five and. 2012, I think, is the Carl Urban version. 17, yeah. And and, and they talk now about doing a TV show, and Carl Urban's been chomping at the bit to do this, but I just don't see the money that is there, you know, but they're out there now trying to sell it some way, get it, you know, get somebody uh, interested in funding it as a TV series, so we'll see if that happens. Exactly. Hey, man, I mean, Netflix or Hulu could pick it up. They're picking up a lot of good series. I mean, most recently, the Castlevania series. Uh, I've heard that's good. Oh my god, it is. Yeah, no, it definitely takes place during Castlevania Three, and it's all hand-drawn anime. Ooh, no computer imagery or anything like that. It's beautifully done, and I, I it, it's only four episodes right now, but it was already renewed for season two, and it's getting eight more episodes. Oh, okay, that's cool. Um, god damn it, I want more of it. Yeah, uh, Rico <laughs> is a huge part of the first movie, but Rico is barely in the book. I mean, he's just one story. I kind of thought they were going to go more in-depth with that, and I was like, oh, oh, we're done already. Well, that, that's insane. But it, was a, but it was a heavy impact on Dread. It was, and, and, and the funny thing is, in both movies, they give him really no emotional range, but in early on in the comics, he seems to be kind of struggling with certain things, especially the fact that he killed Rico, and now he has to take care of his daughter. Yeah, his niece. Oh gosh, and then she gets in a, and then she gets in an incident where she's being stuck, you know, held hostage, and almost killed. But she's keeping strong, you know, singing to herself, and she absolutely loves her uncle, even though I'm sure as an adult later on she might not. But yeah, she'd probably understand considering how terrible her father was. <laughs> yeah, and I'm looking through some of these stories, and some are just silly fluff. Taking on the gorillas was kind of stupid. Um, the Call Me yeah. Kenneth thing went on way too long. I couldn't believe how long it went on, but it is kind of funny. Um, I have a friend named Ken who wants a t-shirt that says, Call Me Kenneth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is one uh, in particular where uh, Judge Cal, he uh, sets up Dread, frames him, gets rid of the previous uh, Chief Justice, and there's he basically tries to take over the entire city and is absolutely batshit insane. Yeah. It, it was actually uh, that... Um, Radio series, you, uh, it, it was a link that you sent to me on YouTube where uh, they broadcast this Judge Dredd radio series. Yeah, they uh, they and, did, I think, a dozen of those tales. I've only been able to listen to one where Dredd was taking this special sleep uh, program where they would drug him and he would like sleep like a night worth of sleep in a half hour. But it had like these weird psychological effects and Dredd kind of goes crazy. And uh, they have to stop him before you know he goes completely psychotic. And he usually ends up killing him. And he him. has a little robot servant. 
Oh God, Walter is is that in yours? Because I I fucking hate Walter. I cannot stand him. He's yep. so annoying. Well, <laughs> I know. I'm like God. Why do you have to? Have... It's like God. You. It's like you're a robot. How can you have a speech impediment, Walter? God. <laughs> I can't stand Walter. Is he part of this for very long? Uh he's in it for quite a, a little uh... while. He's, he's not. He's not in all of it. He's definitely not in all of it. But that siege, uh, that city under siege bit where Judge Cal takes over and has appoints a fucking goldfish as his fucking vice president or whatever. Mm. <laughs> it's just fucking nuts. Walter but overall, so... it's still it's so fun to read. Yeah. And uh, also, when we get to when they get to the dark judges, oh man. Yeah, that's what I'm excited about. I want to see the Judge Death has always been a part of like the mythos that I've heard about, but I didn't know anything of you know what was going on with that. So I, I think that's book three. So I'm hoping to get that one yeah. soon. And that's where you meet um, Judge. Uh, oh gosh, she was in the. Uh, she's in the uh, second movie. Anderson. She's a psychic. Which one's Hershey? Which, yeah, Hershey is uh, Diane Lane's character, and Anderson is the psychic, right? Yes. And I think both of them have their own series from IDW, like their own spinoffs from it. Because they're really trying to push the Judge Dread thing, but I just don't think it's going to happen. I think it's still be just kind of a minor cult thing. Most independent comics are a cult following. It's rare when one breaks out and becomes a phenomenon, like Spawn or something. I think most independent oh, comics that keep trekking on is just because, you know, like, they have a cult following. It's Savage Dragon. The fact that that's still going after th- almost 30 years, is, or 25 years, is stunning. Yeah, again, some of these, uh, again, some of these comics just should, don't get enough, as much recognition as they deserve. Well, the problem is, is Marvel and DC sure. is such an entrenched universe with so many hundreds and hundreds of characters and backstories that it's hard to step away because you're like, what's going to happen next? Oh, what about this character, you know? And... You know, I'm I'm stuck on DC right now. Really, even though it's got awful at times, the rebirth thing. Ugh. I don't know. I picked up volume uh, one of Superman and Batman. Yeah, I'm liking Superman. I'm like, I, yeah, I've liked both of them. I thought they were great. I've yet to pick up Wonder Woman and uh, Flash and Green Arrow and the Green Lantern. Oh, they're uh, what I did hear from my friend Brian was uh, that they're doing away with the uh, Green Lantern Corps. The yeah, there's like Green a thousand Lantern Green Lanterns. It's going on forever and ever and ever. And it feels like it's, you know, eight years ago when Blackest Night and uh, Brightest Day were going on, you know, Green Lantern was red hot. And so there's tons of spinoffs. But I think it's, it's you know, it's been eight years now since that. Yeah. And I think it's kind of watered down now. Now you're probably going to see like Aquaman Corps. <laughs> the Fish Patrol! <laughs> oh, oh, yes, of course. And then they'll all be surfing on the beach uh, after a nice, for some R&R. All right, so there's something we've been holding off in the show. Um, it's because I haven't seen it yet, and I probably won't for a while. Um, Wonder Woman, I probably won't see it till disc, and Spider Man till disc. I went and saw Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, and uh, you actually took a longer time than I I did, which is strange because it's usually the opposite way around. But what did you think of God Two? Again, I really liked it. It was uh, more character uh, development than it was actual plot. But it was great to finally find out some something, uh, the mystery of Star Lord's, you know, Lineage. father's genetic origin. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was a crazy, high-minded it... idea. Ego, the living planet, is such a huge idea that's super complicated, and yet for uh, you know, uh, I, James Gunn, like the way Christopher Nolan did with Inception, found a way to tell something severely complicated and dense but in a way that everybody could understand. That was a great thing. That was a great thing about Doctor Strange, which I finally just saw, too, is that it was a huge idea processed in a way that everybody could understand it, but not dumbing it down, yeah. just a very streamlined way of saying something very complicated. Exactly. And, again, Doctor Strange brings us into this whole new realm of Marvel. You know, it's the supernatural magic realm. Yeah. You know, something very different. 
Doctor and Strange. Baron Mordo didn't. Doctor Strange satisfied me in such a fantastic way that I haven't felt since like the first Avengers. It was so uncomplicated. There wasn't all these connections to the other universes. They didn't sidetrack like they way they would. You know, I Ant Man. You know, they did that stupid segue where he fought the Falcon, and I was like, um. Well, that's kind of cool. I like the Falcon and everything like this, but it also sidesteps until it's yeah. pointless. I like no, just stay focused on the story. Exactly. I think that's. What, I think that scene is what Marvel wanted to put in, and Edgar Wright was like saying, "No, I don't want this in my movie. I kind of want it to stand on its own." And yeah. that's why they left. And you know, I was mad, and you and I were both mad about this. But Edgar Wright, you know, now has Baby Driver out, which everybody's like crazy about. You know, it's Fuck a small yeah. budget movie, which is really like shaking him up, making serious bank at the box office. It's not going to be a Marvel level, but for him, it's his biggest box office ever. And good for him yeah. because Scott Pilgrim was, uh, it should have been huge. And I can't believe it only made like $30 million. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm sure it was huge in Canada, but here in the U.S., I don't know. For some reason, it couldn't find its audience. Yeah. And it definitely should have. People that watch it on DVD are like, God. Damn, I wish I saw more of this. Yeah. I, more of this. I sat in a very empty Fuck theater. <laughs> Fuck, I know. It's yeah. ridiculous. Same with Dread. Okay, back to Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. though. Um, what, bug, what bugged me about it, though, was the stupid humor. I got so sick of Drax. Yeah. I was like, all right, I got it already. And why does there have to be a joke? I mean, is Guardians of the Galaxy supposed to be a comedy, a full-on comedy? Because that's the problem with Marvel yeah, is it, that it, there's it felt- too many comedies going on right now. They need some more weight. Yeah, no, it felt like a sitcom like kind of comedy. Uh, and... Again, Drax, like, you know, complaining about his nipples or, you know, that did not feel like Drax at all from the no, first movie. No, no. And he, la- yeah, really Drax different. was the most out of place. And then uh, separating Raccoon and Groot, you know, uh, Baby Groot was great. I love Raccoon. I still can't believe that, um, oh, shit, what's his name? Bradley Yondu. Cooper. Bradley Cooper does his voice. Uh, yeah. You know, I know it's still, it's, it, he sounds so much like George Costanza from Seinfeld. Yeah. <laughs> And then uh, Yandu was great, but I thought he was in it too much. And this is a problem with a lot of these big movies is that there's two sequences that could have been cut down severely. And um, But because they have all this 70s music they have to push, it just kept going on and on and on as that whistling spear that he had. And they're killing hundreds and yeah. hundreds and hundreds of people in the ship. And I was like, you know, showing maybe 10, 20 would have been fine. Why is this still going? Yeah. I know. I guess they wanted to bring in the whole crew to bring to take them down to take down the guardians because that's what it would have taken. I also didn't that realize kind of there was a sense, whole but... that crew was so big. I mean, they already killed so many people already on the planet. You know, and raccoon. And there was raccoon. Oh yeah. Well, at least not rocket. Yeah. No. I mean, not necessarily kill them, but disable them. And also, he, they killed some of the people that were loyal to Yondu, and then fucking Taser Face. No. <laughs> Oh, fucking what? Taserface takes over and gets laughed at every second. What is Taserface a parody of? Someone told me it was a parody of something else in a movie or comic. I can't remember what it was. Oh, fuck, it does sound awfully familiar. Like, it was kind of a play on something stupid. That's going to bug me. Uh, I don't know, was it like a Dick Tracy comic? Like Prune Face or something like maybe, that? Maybe, but I just remember, uh, they, they're like, what? Tate's? Are you sure that's your name? <laughs> uh, they show you at think the... that sounds threatening? Yeah, back to Stallone for a second. You know, he has that glorified cameo in it where they basically like, oh, this is the other Guardians of the Galaxy. This is the Guardian Galaxy that I knew as a kid from the future. You know, Vance Astro and stuff like that. And 
Right. I never knew the Guardians of the Galaxy with the, the characters we see in the movie. You know, I, I didn't know Drax wasn't part of Guardians. He was just a, a shitty Silver Surfer villain. You know, and uh, Gamora mm. and Rocket Raccoon. I didn't know who the fuck that was. You know, and Groot wasn't the thing. And uh, yeah, Star Lord. It was like a footnote. You know, he was a barely thing in the seventies, and that's all I knew. And all of a sudden, you're like, you're gonna make a movie out of these guys? What the hell? And it turned out to be a huge success. <laughs> also, I do want to say this about. Um, I do want to say this. The saddest moment in that movie was not Yondu dying. No, it was Baby Groot getting picked on and teased and poured alcohol all over. Yeah, I actually got that a little sad during Yondu, but Yondu went on forever. It, that's another thing, and they couldn't wrap it up. They didn't wrap up the battle with uh, uh, Kurt Russell, which was bugging me to no end. I was like, just you know, show it a couple of seconds of it and then move on. Yeah, but I mean, at the end, you yeah, know, and there, there were so many post-credit scenes. I mean, they're setting up Adam Warlock, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. They're also setting up... Um, Again, showing the original Guardians of the Galaxy lineup with Ving Rhames and Sylvester Stallone and all those other characters. That I thought was pretty cool. And then you've also got... No, wait, no. How, Howard the Duck wasn't a post credit scene in the previous one. No, he was he just a small bit. Bar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, then there was Stan Lee talking to the Watchers. Oh, yeah, yeah that, I, I thought that was kind of stupid, actually. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Uwatu is... Uh, Stan, Stan Lee's Uwatu. Huh. Hey, where are you guys going? Come back. I want to go home. <laughs> so you're a watcher. You could fucking you could do it your own damn self. <laughs> yeah, uh, I thought Doctor Strange did it better. They kept the fight sequences concise and really interesting. Uh, you know, yeah, and then he beat the villain in a weird passive aggressive way. It's like, look, you can continue doing exactly. this, but you're gonna, you know, it, it was it was original way of approaching. It. And I had no faith in Scott Derrickson at the time when I when I heard about it. I was like, what? The guy did David Earth does still? Well, that's a shitty movie. Uh, not realizing he had done some other movies after that that were well received, and uh, right. and then I saw it, I was like, oh my god, this is like leaps and bounds past any other Marvel movie I've seen recently. Yo, yeah, definitely. I, again, it felt so different. That's why I, I I went and actually saw it in theaters, and I loved it. And also, yeah, he didn't really it didn't really connect with the Avengers. They're only mentioned, and the only but what, it did kind of take away from the Eye of Agamotto. Hey, they, the only reason it's so powerful is because it's an Infinity Stone. Yeah, that was kind of like, well, I guess we're going to shoehorn this one in. Ugh. Benedict like, Cumberbatch I... was really good, though. I, I, I remember when they were talking about Patrick Dempsey about five years ago being um, talked about as Dread. As Dread. Damn it. As Dr. Doctor Strange. Strange. Um, and I was like, okay, I can buy that. And then they went with Benedict, and I was like, what? And I was like, afterwards, like, oh, you made the right decisions. Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially Patrick Dempsey, uh, his personal life. Yeah, some shit went down during the set of Greatest Anatomy, so, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember that, but I can't believe that show's still on. It's on, like, season 15 or something insane. Yeah, I know. I I, I never even started, thankfully. Uh, Chiwetel <laughs> anyway. GF4 is really good in it, but I really wanted him to have a knockdown, drag-out martial arts sequence. You know, like the way he did in uh, Serenity. Oh, hell yeah. That would have been awesome. I liked, I liked how they showed Baron Mordo as a actual, you know, supporting a supporting character. Um, he didn't say, he wasn't he wasn't always evil. It's very understanding why he does what he does because you know he finds out the ancient one, played by Tilda Swinton, which was bullshit. No, she was fantastic. She was amazing in that role. I know. I mean, she was great in that role. But I'm like, again, the ancient one's supposed to be you know, Asian. That's it's the casting part. Hollywood just could not. You could have casted Chow Yun Fat. You could have casted so many uh, Jackie Chan. 
You could have casted somebody Asian to play that part. You could have. That's that. But it's a mystical character. It's it's still fiction, though. I mean, that if you want to stick with that realm, then you could also bitch about people saying that uh, Idris Elba could be Bond. You know, it's the same argument. They're all fictional characters. You can make oh. them anything you want. But it also depends, though. I mean, with Ghost in the Shell, when it was written and created specifically for someone Asian, they whitewashed it. Yes, but Just you like also with, uh, have to be Avatar. you have to be straight up and understand that you cannot sell a movie. Uh, well, okay. Uh, it, it's six on one. Oh shit. Okay, so Ghost in the Shell could not be sold for the budget that it was on with an Asian star because there's no Asian stars that are huge worldwide besides Jackie Chan and Chow Yun Fat. There really isn't. I mean, Maggie Q came and left. Um, what was the one in Crouching Tiger, Hitting Dragon? Can't remember her name. name. Um, but what? But here's the problem: is there never is going to be any huge Asian stars if they don't give them a chance to be stars. So you're right. I mean, I agree with you, and I don't agree with you. But uh, damn, they really do need. I keep wondering why it is we keep getting stuck on the same three black guys: uh, Samuel Jackson, uh, Morgan Freeman, and Denzel Amen. Washington. When there's been so many other very, very talented African American gentlemen who who could have been huge stars. And for one reason or another, it didn't happen. And I'm like, how is the pool so small? Why is Denzel still carrying these $75 million action movies when he's clearly not even in shape? Look at Magnificent Seven. That guy's barely holding together. There's duct tape holding him. <laughs> what happened to Omar Epps? You know, come on. Don Cheadle. What's going on here? You know? Yeah, no. I mean, the only time we've seen, the last time we saw Don Cheadle was when he was, uh, yeah, when he was a war machine in a, Civil War. Yeah, but he's never really been a lead except for maybe Traitor, which is a minor movie. Um, uh, but thankfully like we have Chadwick, we have Chadwick Boseman coming up as a lead. So hey. Oh yeah, no, I can't wait to see him as Black Panther. That got me so excited. Oh man. Also, anyway, but yeah, no. Back to Doctor Strange. Yeah, no. Uh, again, after seeing uh, after Baron Mordo finding out she does draw from the Dark Dimension, she is hypocritical. Baron Mordo then just like just realizes like everything was like kind of a lie and just felt like felt kind of betrayed so i'm like it's very understanding why he becomes a villain in that post-credit scene yeah yeah which was a i was, sh- I was surprised by it all um I, I thought that would be the end because they show one sequence and all of a sudden you're like hello because the first credit sequence is actually kind of stupid and shitty you know he's just talking to thor about getting him and his brother back home and i was he's like yeah Odin. it's just a throwaway scene um but the last one is important because that is pivotal to the next doctor strange movie which thankfully was a huge hit yes I know. Oh God! I, uh, again, I wasn't too surprised. Okay, so it's time and for the now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will say this: Spider-Man, Spider-Man: Homecoming. Yeah. Uh, again, there were a, there were a lot of unnecessary jokes. I just found a little bit too stupid. Although, like the ones with Hannibal Burris and Martin Starr were pretty, <laughs> again, pretty funny. And I thought definitely should have stayed there. Can I ask you but, a question um, real quick? Is there more than just Vulture? Yeah. Is it what I thought it was? My theory of that it's going to be all those hammer villains like Beetle and Shocker and uh, Boomerang? Beetle, no, but there is the Tinkerer and Shocker. Yeah. And Scorpion does. Well, Matt Gargan makes an appearance. <laughs> so nice. professional. Hey, gang. Uh, real quick, I forgot to tell you that we have a sponsor. Um, it is. It is Zen Monster Media uh, for all your entertainment goods. Jacob got a nice little blue beetle book and i shouldn't say little because it's the uh massive collection of the it's ted cord run book. <laughs> it's a big book 
which we're going to do on a future episode. Um, I also got the best of Dread from them. Um, but they're online, Amazon, eBay. Uh, I don't think there's actual legitimate, like, like full-on website. But, you know, just go there, check out those names, uh, Zen Monster Media. and uh, I hope know. they have the Midnight Suns. They probably do. Um, but, yeah, they, comics, movies, books, all sorts of entertainment stuff. Also, Fort Wayne Improv was nice enough to sponsor us. Um, they're a comedy group out of Fort Wayne, Indiana. They help hold shows and training sessions and stuff like that. Uh, check out their Facebook page uh, and uh, see when their upcoming events are. Um, there, that's our only commercial. That's the first time we've ever done a commercial. <laughs> I, I don't really like commercials in podcasts because they're scripted and they never sound real. And I'm fucking tired of hearing about Casper uh, Beds. I can't believe how many people... Oh, and here's the other thing. When I hear podcasts do commercials, they're always like, oh, help us keep the lights on. Fuck you. You do 80 shows a year. <laughs> you get a nice big paycheck every time you do one. You know, there are people that write on TV. They're actors. They have plenty of money. And you're telling me that you can't cover a $20 fee on Libsyn? I mean, I don't know if you have a producer or something like that. That might be another 100 But come on. Get over it. Stop. Stop begging. Okay. This is. I mean, we're not asking you for any money. Just at best, share and like. That's it. That costs you nothing. Dude. I don't get. Yeah. I don't give a fuck for energy drinks or fucking dirt of mattresses. <laughs> a get potty squatty. A squatty potty. Have you heard about the squatty potty? There's there's commercials for these fucking toilets. Oh my fucking god! Is it a giant like? Fuck, is it a giant diaper? No, it's... I kid you not. I keep hearing all these podcasts. It's really funny hearing Gilbert Godfrey talk about it. This this squatty potty. Poop like a caveman. It gets you lowered to the ground so your butt's in the proper angle. So the poop shoots right out. You're like, what are you... (laughs) You just gotta sit down properly. And then you just have to pop it. (laughs) I can't do it. It shoots out like a cannonball. A rocket ship of (laughs) doo-doo. (laughs) <laughs> fucking Gilbert Godfrey. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, God. Yeah. I mean, as far as like upcoming comic book films, I would. Le- I I think Dread. They need to do something with Dread. Uh, that TV show needs to get going. Yeah, it'd be it'd be cool. It's a big, expensive. They're gonna have to use lots of CGI and green screen and stuff like that. Because Mega City oh, yeah. One is one of the most elaborate designs. Whoever whoever thought this out was like. You know what? We can pretty much do whatever we want, but it's going to be huge and it's going to be layered. I mean, there's prisons in the middle of highways, and the only reason you can't escape is because it's going so fast you'll get run over. Yeah, no, they're pretty much fucked. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I do prefer like the more grittier, uh, realistic looking version of Dread because it was closer to the comic books. But at the same time, uh, the one with uh, Sylvester Stallone did have that that futuristic outlook to it yeah you know more uh, more advanced technology technologically advanced all right so the last segment of this show and i am I'm, I'm throwing something at jacob here he was not prepared for uh because there's another show that we do called trash cinema and you know what they're comic book movies that we we're going to discuss so fuck it let's throw it in this episode let's make this a super size episode with a giant size more for your money you didn't pay for it, so I don't know why I said that. guacamole and extra bacon. <laughs> uh, normally, this is a part of a podcast called, called Trash Cinema. And as I'm talking yeah. to Jacob, I'm like, well, let's just include it in this. Because A, I'm overextended on shows. It's time to wrap Trash Cinema up. I have like six shows going because I was, uh, I'm apparently a junkie for podcasting. Here's the thing is you don't know. When I'm off the air, it's a 50-50 shot whether I'm really pissed off and stressed out trying to get the, the episode together. And Jacob has to hear it, and I'm surprised right. Jacob hasn't quit. <laughs> I apologize, Jacob. Hey, Try, trying to get what we want out of the show. Man. These we, we want better. You and I both discussed this. We can't be in the same yeah. room 
So the only way to do it is through all these gadgets and gizmos, and it's driving me crazy, making it sound like you're, you know, it's making it sound better. And um, before this, I was just ready to quit. I was so irritated, so frustrated. I can't. I can't quit you, my baby. I love you too much. Oh, gosh. Oh, man. I'm trying to think of a fucking inspirational quote from Rocky, but I can't fucking think. <laughs> you got nothing, do you? Uh, like something from... Crap, thunder, and no, shoot I lightning. Jizz earthquakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He crabs thunder and sh- sh- spits out lightning. Wait, how did it go again? A fire tsunami. <laughs> Kid, I, I think he my brain broke. <laughs> he okay. piss a fucking hurricane. Okay. I tell you, this shit got it in him. <laughs> uh, we could discuss all the Superman movies. That would take a whole episode. We could. Here's the yeah. thing. Everybody knows how great the first two Supermen are. They're great. Um, Especially the Richard Donner cut of the second one. Yeah, even though that one's kind of a mess because it wasn't finished. I still can't believe they they fired him three quarters of the way through. What were they thinking? And you know, watch Superman 2. The parts that make you scratch your head and go, what? Was not Richard Donner. That was, uh, the fuck's the other guy's name? Richard Lester. Richard Lester, you know, who, uh, did he do Red Sonja in Conan the Barbarian? Am I right or wrong? I'm pretty sure he did Red Sonja. I'm sorry, Conan and the he Destroyer. he also did part three of Superman. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the stupid things where he throws, like, his logo on them. I was like, what the fuck? What the That's fuck so was stupid. That shit? It's so stupid. It doesn't even make sense. A giant cellophane S logo. Who the fuck does that? Where did that idea come from? <laughs> That's such a dumb idea. Um, so the first two are great, even though I feel like over the years, a lot of these superhero movies don't age well. Look at Batman with Michael Keaton. It, it's kind of uh, hokey. Um, in the fact that Joker's too much of a, you know, just wacky instead of scary, silly. You know, like the way Heath Ledger played it. Oh, yeah, no, But uh, there was that one scene where he's talking to the dead body. That was definitely... Yeah, that, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'm, Eye of the Mind makes a movie where I thought it was actually Eye of the Mind makes a movie. I was like, well, it's the Joker. That makes sense to him. Not to us, but it makes sense to him. And yeah, then you're the I'm one... Eye of the Mind to make some movie. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought it was. Shut up. <laughs> Yeah, no, it is. You're right. <laughs> I still love enjoying it. I just looking at, uh, at um, was it Anton first who was the production designer for the first movie? I, I know Bo Welch did Batman Returns. I don't know why you know this but, stuff, but yes. Okay, I guess I'll say yes. Yeah. I just loved looking at the environment of Gotham City. It really did kind of like bring it out, that dark gothic scheme from the comics that Gotham City was. And the whole, again, the just making him badass again. It really stepped away from uh, Adam West. I mean, Adam West was enjoyable. Don't get me wrong. You know, he was de- like a detective, but he's just so fucking goofy. And yeah, well, on purpose, we didn't realize at the time it was a comedy. You know, when you're a kid, you don't realize this. And then, of course, yeah. making it more like modern Batman. And, of course, three and four sucked ass. That'll be another episode. Ugh. Um, oh, yeah. Well, Batman Forever, it made the most It was like the most financially successful uh, movie of 1995. Should have been Judge Dredd. No, <laughs> should have been Hackers. Oh God, yeah, that was a cool. That was a pretty fucking cool movie. It, it, should, it should have been the Pest, which I like as a whole. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, the Pest! Jesus fucking Christ! A terrible movie. <laughs> oh man. But anyway, yeah, no. Oh God. So yeah, we are going to discuss now superman three and four right yeah <laughs> i was starting to think of other movies that should have been fucking god the jerky boys oh 
No, but I was thinking also about Spider-Man. <laughs> Think about Spider-Man and the Sam Raimi ones. They've aged uh, in, in a way that we didn't expect them to because now they're kind of viewed almost um, campy. Especially the Yeah, game. it was almost like watching Adam West Batman. Yeah. Kind of. um, yeah, Superman 3, I, I don't hate it. There's a lot wrong with it, but there's still spectacle. There's still a lot of dynamic stuff. Richard Pryor looks like he's just improving the entire movie. Um, and that I don't feel like Richard Pryor's character originally was supposed to be in so much of it. And then they cast Richard Pryor and they had to pay him so much money. So like, oh shit, let's crank this up. That's the only reason he did it was for the money. He admitted that. Yeah. <laughs> I, that was the very first movie poster that I ever had. Yeah. Didn't know of him just carry, of Superman just carrying Richard Pryor. <laughs> yeah. And him going, woo! Uh, uh, Robert Vaughn is a shitty villain. The plot is boneheaded and not fit for a Superman movie. They should have gone bigger. They should have gone with a villain that was truly menacing instead of fucking video game. And, and the Atari Pac-Man sound playing in the background. Come on. Oh, God. And that opening sequence was just so fucking, like, horribly, you know, dumb comedy. But well, you do get Lana Lang, who's very well played by Annette Tool. What is with Margot Kidder yeah. being cast aside for part three and four? Is it because she started going... Oh, it wasn't necessarily that, but she had a problem with the producers. Ah, she so they punished her. I mean, oh, yeah, so, no, she, I guess she didn't, exactly. They pretty much punished her. They cast her out of the movie. Well, they only put her in for, like, a little bit, and then she leaves, goes on vacation. Yeah. But it was good to see Clark go back to uh, Lana Lang and, you know, his uh, high school reunion. That was kind of cute. Yeah, and, and when and, he separates himself is one of the greatest sequences in the entire franchise. I love when he separates and they fight. That was a redeemable moment for sure, because he's at war with himself. But at the same time, I'm like, wait a minute, how the fuck can Superman get drunk? Uh, alcohol can't affect his Kryptonian DNA. True. Well, but, again, the, but, but the Kryptonite affected his body in a different fashion, so maybe. Plus the the um, they didn't mention at the chemical plant that uh, that shit that was concocting and getting out of control was like a, something similar to Kryptonite, and it affected him differently. Yeah. yeah. And it, I remember in the comic books and the TV show, uh, Lois and Clark. Mm-hmm. Um, the Adventures of Superman. Like there were different colored kryptonite. One like um, would like put him under mind control, like easily sway him to do something else. One would uh kind of like make you know sap away his youth. One would uh do all sorts of other. Uh, I-, I lost track. Yeah, I lost fucking track. The, uh, the plaid kryptonite <laughs> is, I think, when they hit a wall. <laughs> <laughs> a plaid kryptonite. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Made him disintegrate instantly. To... <laughs> And that's what they use to power up the uh, ship in Spaceballs. With <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, 3 is a yeah, mess but... in the fact that they think they chose poorly with the villain, but there's a lot going. I mean, still, Christopher Reeve is so good. He's so good in 3 and yeah. 4. You'll love him and you believe him. Part 4 is a fucking disaster. I saw this in the theater. At the time, I loved it. And yeah. I um, mean, what is the villain's name again? Mark Pillow, but he played... Man. What is it? Nuclear Man. Nuclear Man. What a douchebag. I know. Yeah, look, they... at me, look at that like fucking surf boy attitude with all clad in black leather. Yeah, I'm thinking about the villain, but... and the villain should have been someone like Parasite. Parasite would have been a hell of a villain. It wouldn't have been expensive to make, but I don't I don't know if it was the story that Christopher Reeve wrote with Rosenthal, and I can't remember the other guy's name. Uh, Lawrence Connor, I think. Um, who are not bad writers. They are not. I've, I, their next movie that they did was called The End Crowd, which nobody's ever seen. Um, it's lost. It's out of print. But it's about like a Dick Clark kind of dance show where these kids compete, and it's set in the 60s. It's a lot about race relations and stuff like that. Fantastic movie. Uh, 
so they're not bad writers, but I feel like under the gun of Golan Globus running out of money, they had to change things and that, alter things. Yeah, that and again, Saul, uh, the you know the Saul kinds, them, them too like to change shit around and make some too stupid fucking decisions. Yeah, but I don't think they're uh, part I, of four. Are they anywhere involved in part four at all? Because I feel like Golan Globus. Uh, yeah, they are. Were they okay? I, I must have missed that. But who runs yeah, out of were. money in the middle of production? How did you not set that aside? I don't know. They were fucking terrible at business management. And look what happened with Masters of the Universe. They tried to shut down the movie. Yeah, well, at least they got everything done with Masters. The movie cost $20 million. They had $20 million. I, I, if I remember correctly, yeah. Superman 4 was greenlit at like $28, 30000000 million and ended up having 17 to play with. And they had to reuse all this footage, and they had to cut sequences. And here's the weird thing, though, is you look on the DVD, and there's all this bonus footage they didn't use. And you're like, well, why, what the fuck happened to this? Like, you could have saved the movie with this shit, you fucking cunts. Yeah. Hey. Oh. It's not England, dude. This isn't England. Don't use that word. No, 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 no. They say wanker. I know, but don't use that word, please. That's a mean word. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please don't. My bad. Uh, I'm sorry. Um... I don't get it. I don't get dessert after this, do I? No ice no. cream for me. Oh. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> the lost thought. Um, yeah, Nuclear Man's terrible. John Cryer, who I love, had a terrible performance. He's so awful in this. Oh yeah, and was he the one that played uh, Nuclear Man? No, John Cryer. You know from Two and a Half Men. Oh god damn! What the? F- oh yeah, he's been? playing his guy uh, nephew or grandson. No nephew, because clearly Lex Luthor has no kids. That man would never have a child. He'd probably kill that child because uh, he can't possibly share. Actually, <laughs> well, actually, I know they they do mention him having some uh, in some iterations. He does have a kid. Oh, huh. And he has a yeah, but is it a clone? But is it an actual child? I get the feeling Lex Luthor doesn't have a working Winky. Like that's why he's so angry. Well, I will say it's actually uh, Lex Junior. It's just a clone. Bo- well, it's just a body, a clone body of his that he puts his brain into. Aha! Uh-huh, I knew yeah. it. Oh, that was in uh, the yeah Death and Return of Superman series, the early '90s. Yeah, but, um, this one Lex was huge. He was like a kingpin style villain, and all of a sudden they're like, "Oh, we screwed up. Uh, let's find a way out of this." Well, he was very physically fit. I'll admit that. But anyway, yeah, no. Uh, Gene Hackman wanted to come back and play Lex Luthor. I mean, Christopher Reeve. He was begging Richard Donner to try and come back and direct this movie, but no. No, by this time he was doing uh, Lethal Weapon, and thank goodness he did, because Lethal Weapon saved his career and made a huge franchise, and and Superman was the end. What a lot of people know this is that there was a Superman 5 ready to go. Uh, The Saul Kinds got the rights back. They were doing that Superboy TV show that went on for a few years, which I can't even remember a single thing about. And they did Supergirl, which sucked. Yeah, Supergirl was a huge flop, but they still own the rights. And they were planning a Superman 5. I think they were going to do it on like a $15 million budget. And they had cast uh, Thomas Ian Griffith, who most people have no idea who that is. And if you've seen John Carpenter's Vampires, have you seen that? Yes, I love that. He's Vlad. He's the vampire villain. Oh, fuck. He was the villain from... uh... Call the Conqueror. Yeah. Uh, No, he was the villain in uh, Karate Kid. Yeah, uh, right. Yes, Karate Kid 3. So there was a little bit of heat on Thomas Ian Griffith because he had played Rock Hudson in a movie in 1988, and it got a lot of acclaim. And then he was the villain in Karate Kid 3. Now, it hadn't come out yet, but people were talking about him. So they went to him, based, uh, and Christopher Reeve was going to be a producer. And he said, um, you know, Thomas Ian Griffith is a rising star. He has the height, he has the strength, he has the charm. They cast him, they did costume fittings, and then they shut it down. That's as far as they got for Superman 5. 
Motherfucker. Yeah, I know, so nah, close. Nah. Tommy Seaton Griffith, I don't know if it's good for his career or bad for his career because it could have shut it down immediately. Um, good actor. I think he's retired now. He, he was writing and directing some stuff, but then we'd have to sit around forever. And then, have you seen the documentary, whatever, what was it? Uh, the Death and Return? The de- whatever. It was the a Death documentary. of Superman Lives? The Death of Superman Lives, thank you. Um, where they show Nicolas Cage as Superman in the crazy costume and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know what? At the time, I thought it was a stupid-ass idea, but it's so crazy that it might have worked. Yeah, no, I, I mean, if Warner Brothers decided to take the risk, I'm sure they would have made a lot of money with it. Because they were trying to tie that in with uh, Tim Burton's Batman. Yeah. But, again, Warner Brothers had a lot of bombs. Uh, Under Siege with Steven Seagal, that bombed. No, it didn't. Uh, that was a huge hit. So, now, you're talking Under Siege 2 was the flop. That was in 95. Is he the one where he's, like, on the... Uh, Train. He's on the Navy ship. The first one was a huge hit, international hit. I think it made like $150 million, only cost 25 That was a big hit in 92, and that's what basically made Steven Seagal's career for a while. But it was part two that cost, it was supposed to cost 47 and it ended up getting uh, mm. cost overruns up to $55 million, I think. And it, it didn't even get close, box office-wise. I think it ended around $40, $42 million. Uh, International money wasn't there, so they had that against them. Um they had something else huge at the time. Here's the thing, though. Is Warner Brothers was making a movie, I kid you not, every two weeks. They had a movie set up every two weeks. Some were small releases, like Steel. You know, that was 800 screens. Uh, like Trojan War, which is only like 150. And then they would have these huge movies and not a single thing in there connected. Do you remember Wild America? That was supposed to be a big hit for them and made nothing. Oh, really? The one with the Jonathan Taylor Thomas? Yeah, in 95, all they had carrying them Holy was uh, basically movies directed by Joel Schumacher. You know, you know the Grisham movies and uh, the Batman movies were keeping them afloat, and then Batman and Robin was a huge, massive flop, and that was like the final nail in the coffin, I think, to Superman. Oh, yeah, that could have been it. But, again, uh, well, you think after Batman Forever, they had more confidence in him, but I think they really uh, the direction they went with Batman and Robin was just... Awful. Yeah, wrong. However, the death of Superman lives also uh, a giant fighting this giant spider. Like, why the fuck you got to bring up giant spider and polar bears? What's this bullshit? <laughs> yeah, well, polar bears actually did show up in the later iterations of uh, uh, the Superman comic books near the Fortress of Solitude. But even then, uh, I guess uh, I think at the time the Warner Brothers exec uh, he just loved seeing giant spiders in movies. Yeah, John Peters. I think is a guy. And you watch him in the documentary, and he's arrogant, and he's rude, and uh, thankfully he has no career. Yeah, I know. John Peters. Was, I think he was the one that uh, got... Wasn't he the one that got that comic book course uh, credited at a college? Uh, I can't even remember. I think he was a hairdresser. I want to say he was a hairdresser was Michael or something. Michael Uslan. Michael Uslan is the one who owns the Batman rights, who still is a producer on those. Oh, yeah, that is him. Yeah, he was just a kid no, when he Michael optioned Uslan. the rights. This is when DC was almost bankrupt back in the late 70s, and he got the rights, and he held on to them, and he fought for the vision of that first Batman with Michael Keaton, and uh, he was correct. And except for the misstep with Batman and Robin, he's been with the franchise the whole way and directing it really well. You know, the animated series have all been fantastic. Um, you know, the Lego yeah, Batman really is awesome. great. He's... Have you watched Lego Batman yet? No, but I want to. I have to. I have to watch it. It's so much fun. I know. I really want to watch it. Uh, again, he's like been a pro- executive producer on like all the animated films. Uh, he, he was an executive producer of Lego movies. Um, yeah. And holy shoot. Yeah, no, looking through all that, anything involving Batman, yeah. Damn. He's there, yeah. He's been a pro- 
Oh, he was a producer for Constantine as well. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no, dude, I'm glad I'm glad someone like him stepped in. Him and uh Tim oh shit. Bruce Tim. Yeah, definitely Bruce Tim's yeah, him, Bruce crucial Tim to like, keeping that alive. Uh, understand that, yeah, they're the ones they I think are like the most what's the right word? Not knowledgeable, but most understanding, most uh when it comes to being a consultant, those guys are necessary. Comprehensive. Comprehensive. Those are the most comprehensive people to handle Batman, for sure. Yeah. And hopefully they do have, um, as far as the, the, uh, the next Batman movie goes with Matt Reeves, I hope they really are more on board with him than they are. <clears throat> Affleck? I hope they really are on board with him with what he wants to do. Um, I don't have anything against Ben Affleck, though. I, mean, I have a problem with Affleck, Affleck constantly smoking. He's supposed to be Batman, the fittest man in the DC universe, and yet you constantly see him like with a, a beer in one hand and a cigarette in the other. Like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, but he still stays in great shape for Batman. Good God, did you see him in that... Do you remember that exercise, the uh, workout scene? Yeah, uh, in, te- in the town. Superman? Oh, God, yeah. He's a very... He'll stay a very... He'll, be, he'll stay very fit for a role. Yeah. But, I mean, it's all... I'm, I'm kind of glad that Matt Reeves is... Uh, kind of threw in away that script in a way I mean uh, because yeah they had a movie planned out but again Matt Reeves he had no contribution to it and he's a director he wants to add add in something different he wanted to add a little bit of noir um, from what I heard uh, from what I read about the interview he had he did want to try in something new probably add in some, some new villain that hasn't been shown before I just hope he doesn't leave out Deathstroke because they've already planned for Deathstroke Joe Manganiello has already been cast he would get fucked over if he yeah. wasn't put in this movie. Well, he said it's going to be more detective-oriented, so I'm not sure how the super... What it should be is there should be an A villain and a B villain. The guy who hires Deathstroke, that's the one... You know, they hire Deathstroke to be, like, the guy who stops Batman in his investigation. So the villain should obviously be Trump. Black mask. <laughs> well, I don't know. Orange mask. <laughs> no, Black it, Mask. actually, Mask. Black Mask would be an excellent villain. There's some people you're never going to be able to pull off in live action, at least not for a long run, like the Ventriloquist. Great villain in the cartoon, in oh, the comics, yeah. but in real life, it's not going to work. No, Black Mask, and this would set up Red Hood. Yeah, definitely. Because oh. then, then Black Mask would have no alternative but to you know bust Joker out of Arkham. I want to see Kraven, the Hunter, finally in the Spider-Man comics. You know, he doesn't have to be the main villain, but he can be kind of in there, floating around, you know? I love Craven. Oh, yeah, I think he's supposed to appear. I think they're trying to get him into the next movie. We'll see what happens. And that's going to take place after Avengers. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. But um, as far as it goes for, like, Superman, oh, my God. Uh, again, three and four were just god-awful. I mean, part four in particular, I mean, uh, Christopher Reeve, again, he had a lot of heart put into this. He really tried to get Superman involved with something like, you know, global affairs and getting rid of nuclear arms. Yeah, you know that was you know very you know that that was that's a huge step. That you know that was like an early step to taking movies like that seriously, you know, and how superheroes really should have an impact on the world. I like in a I, I and then you know that kind of uh, Christopher Reeve uh, Superman legacy did live on in Superman Returns. So boring. Lex Luthor the villain again. Oh my God, snooze, snooze fast. Well intentioned, but boring. And then, but I'll still take it over Man of yeah. Steel, which was so uh-huh. miserable. I didn't really see a problem with Man of Steel. <sighs> I thought it was, I thought it was great, a great new introduction. The way they kind of, uh, how they had Krypton set up, you know, character development. It didn't really feel like a Zack Snyder movie because 
that acting wasn't so hollow. And again, Henry Cavill was perfect. He was good. Choice, yeah. sure. It's just, it was so dark. I, the problem with the DC movies, and, and I'm sure Wonder Woman changes that, is that it's just so morose. Oh, oh, definitely, it does. Uh, but also, yeah, that's because fucking Zack Snyder, excuse me, <laughs> even Zack Snyder on a, a visual level, on a visual level, it has to be so fucking dark. I'm like, come on, really? Yeah. It's like, why Superman of all people? He's supposed to be bright. He's supposed to be the shining example, which he kind of is in Batman vs. Superman. The motif for Superman gets a little lighter, as does his costume, but... Again, uh, Batman's influence, you know, uh, when it comes to visuals, uh, Zack Snyder was perfect for Batman. But, again, it was more, Batman vs. Superman was more character than it was uh, actual plot. And the theatrical version was a mess. Just a god-awful mess. And they don't have anybody holding the reins. Warner Brothers just kind of put their, uh, pretty much put a gun to Zack Snyder's head and told him to handle the universe. But now that they got Jeff Johns on board, and with the success of Wonder Woman, you know, there's the future's looking brighter for DC. Yeah, and Josh Whedon. Joss Whedon. Yes, Joss Whedon. Yeah, I know. That gets me even more excited. And now Matt Reed is handling the Batman. Alright, in our final wrap up of this that? episode, let's uh let's talk real quick. What are you reading that we won't be discussing on this episode? What are you casually reading? What am I casually reading? Hmm. Nothing? Uh yeah, again, just like uh just the rebirth and uh the rebirth series of Superman and Batman. I did finish those. And then I am gonna finish reading that Blue Beetle. Yeah, well, I've seen Spider Man. I've kind of I've been reading some of the Spider Man uh, novels that you sent me. Yeah, I'm looking up here, and I really don't have anything. I, I've been reading Gogol Thirteen. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Gogol Thirteen. It's an anime, uh, manga. Um, there's been anime of it, and, oh, wow. and there's been a couple live action movies. But I gotta tell you, manga. Uh, some people's brain are it lined up perfectly with it. Me, I'm just like, uh, it's backwards. I can't do this. I can't read right to left. I have to read left to right. It's computer. Plus, <laughs> the, the art the was god awful. You thought you were. But the Google 13. Excuse me. I'm making a lot of racket. Google 13 was a video game I played on the Nintendo when it first came out, and I was fascinated by it. I like the live action movies, but the comic is boring as shit. Okay. I've also been watching. I've also watched Castlevania a couple times. Yeah, I've I... been kind of obsessed with that lately. What was the other thing I read? Um, oh, Brave and the Bold. Uh, I'm reading the old reboot from uh, J. Michael Straczynski, and uh, it's called Team Ups: oh, wow. Brave and Bold. I picked up the the trade of that. It's fascinating. There's a there's the best Aquaman story that I've ever read. Him and uh, Etrigan, the demon, team up to go underwater to stop basically. Thulu coming out of the bottom of the ocean and taking over with the dead. And it's only one issue, and it blew my friggin' mind. Okay, I have to read that. Yeah. It has Dr. Really Fate. Have to read that now. It has Dr. Fate and Green Lantern teaming yes. up. It has uh, Batman yes. and Dial H for Hero. Uh, Joker and the Atom. The Atom has to go into the Joker's mm. brain, and it's just madness. Just complete and absolute madness, and he's trying to steer it. It's, it's amazing. Holy shit, that is amazing! I honestly have to say, well, speaking of the Batman, I really hope, I really hope they do a better portrayal of Jared Leto's Joker because he only had so much screen time in Suicide Squad. Can like we David just? Ayer originally wanted. I don't understand him to be the villain. I don't understand why everybody. I, Jared Leto's fine. I prefer him in his band. But uh, now we're talking rebooting Tron with Jared Leto, which is bullshit. You and I both agree it's bullshit. And uh, his Joker was terrible. It's the least word that I can use. Yeah, no, it was more Brian Azzarello's Joker, but with the look of a criminal gangster. Yeah. Like a modern-day gangster. (sighs) Well, I think we've come to the end of this episode. Like I said, check out Zen Monster Media for all your entertainment goods. Uh, Jacob, thank you for coming on this episode. 
I think this is a better way of doing oh, it. I feel like we can get everything out in just an hour and a half and be good. Yeah. Uh, I will say, I mean, uh, as long as they don't make a Superman movie like three or four again, I think I'll be happy. Yeah. I would love to see a sequel to Man of Steel. George Miller, if George Miller could come and do Man of Steel too. Yeah, and I want to see more villains from the comics. I'm sick of seeing the same two. I want to see Brainiac. I want to see Metallo. I want to see Parasite. Exactly. Mr. Mixelplitic. Well, no, we've seen Mr. Mixelplitic. Mixelplitic. How do you say his That'd be weird. You know who I want to see? Who? Nubia. I don't know who that is. Who? Oh, that's Wonder Woman's uh, twin sister. Ah, okay. I don't know much about the Wonder Woman. Yeah, you know who she is, right? No, I I don't know. Well, I mean, she. Yeah, no. Basically, she's uh, her twin sister. Um, she's also, um, yeah, she's black. She's she was set in the uh, Earth twenty three, where Superman's black and he's the president of the United States. Hmm. Yeah. Again, it's she, again. She's just as powerful. She's just as courageous. She. I think. Uh, again, she'd be great to see on screen. But dude, you know who can play her? Angela Bassett. Angela yeah. Bassett still looks just as young, still just as fit, and just as beautiful as ever. And she has that depth of uh, to get to get that character right. Let her do it. <laughs> okay, check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment. You'll find all our episodes there, as well as the other shows that we do. Hey, if you are a fan of the comic book shows that you know we all love, uh, launched another podcast called Next Planet Over, where we discuss uh, sci-fi, fantasy, and horror TV shows for the most part that were short-lived. Usually, like you know, three seasons or less. Uh, you know, but we'll probably deep dive into some other stuff. No Star Trek. No Star Trek. Because I do one episode about Star Trek and the fans will just rip me to shreds. So fuck that shit. <laughs> uh, first episode was Briscoe County Jr. Uh, we did The Tick, Powerless, and Constantine. Uh, hopefully there's some more episodes up in the future that will be more than just comic books. But if you dig that stuff, hey, there you go. Um, you and I should do one. We should, we should find a short-lived sci-fi show to discuss. I'm still pissed. Powerless with Oh, wait. Uh, what about uh, Birds of Prey? Birds of Prey. Excellent choice. I really enjoyed that show, even though a lot of people hated it. It's nothing like the comic, which I love by Chuck Dixon. Um, but still, very good. Oh. Um, the one thing is... So, I'm sharing the show with other people, so I can't... You know, I cannot keep on track, because trying to get people lined up with the show is difficult for me. These two guys over at Above the Airwaves, um, they live near each other. They just walk over on Sunday, and they do the episode. That's You know, it's really easy. So... Yeah. They chose to do the 1990 version of The Flash. I haven't said anything yet, but I'm like, God damn it! That's one of my favorite shows of all time, and, and I want to discuss it. <laughs> but I traded them. Oh. I traded them. So I'm taking Dollhouse, uh, and they're taking The Flash. Mostly, they're going to do shows over the last 20 years, and I'll do shows prior to that. Um, and then okay. some, some they'll have no interest in, and some I really want to do. Like I'm sure they don't want to do Birds of Prey, but I totally do. Okay. Oh yeah, speaking of the Flash, you know that uh, they talk who they're talking. You know that DC uh, and Warner Brothers are talking to um, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller to direct it. Yeah, they they originally had them lined up, and then they bailed to do Han Solo, but then that went to shit. So yeah, I guess they're back in charge of the Flash, oh. which they got to steer it in the right direction. I can't believe how badly it's gone. So many people quit. I know. Well, Seth Graham Smith left due to creative differences. That's not a huge loss. No, guy... he doesn't deserve to be in the frame. I've seen the stuff he wrote. It's it's shitty. I don't want him involved yeah, in the Flash. No, uh, he's a, he, dude, he's a writer. He's not even a director. He only directed one episode of a shitty MTV show. That's it. Yeah. He well, no that's what they're doing now to save money is they just give it to these guys. You know, it's like, we'll hire you for $100,000. Do this $200 million movie. And then they got, um, they were going to get the uh, the director of Dope, but again, creative differences. Yeah. 
Um, now, the Flash is now my favorite superhero. Inside. They better not screw this up. Oh no! What you know? What they were trying to do with Han Solo? They were trying to make him more slapstick and Ace Ventura like. Really? Even Cynthia. Yeah, they were doing some weird. They were doing something funny with uh, Han Solo. Huh? A little something. But they were adding a little too much of it, and Lucasfilm's like, "No, this isn't gonna fly." Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty sure they were telling just only some of the stuff they have shown was just all that they were going to try to do. Yeah. As far as the slapstick goes, I have to look into it again. But just from what I've read so far, I'm like, oh, jeez. Okay, gang, we're at 120 minutes. That's a record for us. We haven't done an episode this long in years, I think. I don't think I don't know if we've ever gone 120 minutes up. You know? Woo! Yeah! All right. Hey. Awesome. <laughs> all right, everybody. Be excellent <laughs> to each other. Time. Jacob, set us out. <laughs> all right. Yes, again, as Michael just said, be excellent to each other. Namaste and good luck. All right, ready for blast off. I am the law. Law. <laughs> <laughs>